He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. What's up? It's Shane with Dynamis Media, and I'm joined here with Stefan. Boy. Damn it, dude. That was my opening joke. Well, you can't. You always just say, you always introduce me, and then I can just say what I want. So I'm going to take I'm gonna take your thunder away. Call me the Damn. lightning thief from Percy Jackson, because I stole oh, your geez. thunder. <laughs> now that we've alienated all of our listeners. I don't know actually know anything about Percy Jackson other than the name of the one book. You just assume someone takes lightning. Well, I know that much because I think I watched like a cinema sins of it or something. <laughs> yeah, I was going to do we've been waiting for you or I've been waiting for you. Hey, I bet I mean, uh, any one of the classic Angus Scrim lines from this movie would be a good one. Yeah. Man, what a what a movie. So if you haven't guessed it by now, uh, due to the reading by, um, by the title of the episode, yeah. <laughs> We are covering the, um, was that 1979, yeah, 78, classic, 79. uh, classic phantasm, which honestly, this movie is there. There's a lot to be said about this movie. Uh, in my opinion, all of them are good, but, um, I, I don't know how we're getting through this one, but I can't wait. But, uh, I just some quick housekeeping at the top of the, at the top of the hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a radio yeah. show now. <laughs> yeah. And here's the traffic report. So we, we'll have another review posting this week. Um, I fixed the mobile version of our website. So now it's not cutting off all the words. Uh, that was a problem for a lot of people. Um, and then, uh, also we have a couple other projects in the work. Um, Stefan and I have some ideas for some other stuff we want to try and get into. Um, you can always find us at social media. So, uh, pretty much we're either the dark side driving or dark side driving on all social media platforms. I think the one that we're kind of spending a lot of time with right now is, uh, is Facebook. We've probably had the most interaction on there. Um, I think more people follow us on other platforms, but people seem to actually want to talk to us on Facebook, which is pretty cool. So if you haven't checked out Facebook yet, go over, uh, just follow the page. Um, you know, leave a comment, uh, just kind of say, Hey, what's up? If you have a movie suggestion, that'd be great too. We're definitely going to add it to the list. We have a, we have a pretty big backlog, but, um, I think with how Stefan and I are planning the show, maybe more Stefan than me on what we're watching, uh, we do have blocks. So if something comes up, that's, you know, maybe fits something, we might push a block up or move some stuff around. So I don't know. Do you have any housekeeping you want to get into Stefan? Anything, anything brewing over in your <laughs> land? Oh shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll cut that out. In Stefan land. Oh, because you said my last name. I'm not as protective of my last name as you are because it's not as uh, mine's pretty uh, common. So. Mine's Demetrius. Yeah. Good luck. Um, what was I gonna say? Now you. you I'm did. gonna. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna bleep it. Uh, okay. I mean, I don't care about it, but okay. Um, what I was gonna say. Uh, well, I was gonna apologize. Okay, yeah. So what I was gonna do is I was gonna apologize for the Piranha episode 
because I was very low energy because that was like when I had messed up my sleep schedule and mm-hmm. I had like woken up at like 5.30 a.m. that day. And I was like, no one will be able to tell, right? And then I listened to the beginning of the episode and I was like, yeah, you can tell. You can tell that I was like tired. It was like an hour in before I started getting my energy back. So I was going to apologize because of the way my voice sounded in that. But then now today I have this like cold or allergies or something I'm like fighting off right now. So my voice definitely does not sound normal again. And I'll try to mute myself every time I do a sniffly so that you can't hear come <laughs> through the microphone. Oh, geez. Well, I try to get most of them, but it happens. I mean, if I sniffle enough, you just won't be able to. It'll be like uh, um, like when you play horde mode and there's just too many of them. Too many hordes. Too many of the hordes. So many hordes. Well, uh, I think we should move into everyone's favorite segment, the reason for the season, why they're here. It is our insert really cool, awesome, catchy game title that we have still yet to decide on. So if any of you have an idea, let us know. We'll steal it. Um, last time... Oh, wait, we don't have a name for our game segment? I mean, do we? I mean, you have a theme song. I just we had a name for it, but... Yeah, I, I guess we do don't it. have a name for it. You just usually yeah. throw in some kind of, like, effect or something right so i know i mean if we'll we'll come up but uh so last time boy i thought you were gonna get this um i knew i wouldn't well as soon yeah but okay so the question was or so we did uh you have to name the movie based off the quote the famous quote from the movie and the quote was i'm going to give you the chance i never had and Stefan, you guessed. I guessed seven. And the correct answer was interview with a vampire. Or with the vampire. Interview with the vampire. And you, as soon as I started saying the word enter, you caught it. You're like, shit. Yeah, because uh, it's the scene I, at the end where, uh, yeah, after the interview, the reporter is in the car. And Tom Cruise is like, guzzled him up. And then is like giving him the option to become a vampire or not. Yeah, so... Should have known. Yeah, I mean, hey, can't all be winners. Um, you know, uh, what an interesting movie. Uh, it's like some... Of, and I guess I get now, like, looking back at it, because, like, they were famous when they were all in that movie, but not as famous as they are now, like, the actors and stuff. So it's just crazy seeing these movies that have, like, you know, like, five or six, like, just Hollywood blockbuster stars in it. Um, but... So I, I don't really have strong feelings about that movie either way. Do you? No, I actually don't think I've ever seen the whole thing. I think I've only seen it in like patchwork sections. Like I've watched various yeah. parts of it, like the stuff with like, uh, like Kirsten Dunst's character, like thrown a fit because she will never age and can't cut her hair and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's like weird, random moments like that, that I just, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's from this movie that I've never actually seen in its entirety. Um, ironically, another of, uh, uh, oh, what's the name of the author? Anne Rice. Another one of Anne Rice's, like, uh, from like the same Vampire Chronicles series is, uh, Queen of the Damned. And I have seen that movie in its entirety. <laughs> and it's like definitely like, not as, uh, well regarded as Interview with the Vampire. Nice. Yeah. Well, that brings us to today's question. Um, is it a question or is it like another quote and quote? It's a question. Okay. I, I'm going to try to, the quotes are going to be 
few and far between, I think. But, um, so are you ready? I'm the readiest I've ever been. Okay. Which movie has the tagline, man is the warmest place to hide? guess he must be involved in like something about the plot of it would a, would a year help you maybe try it out okay 1982 oh um I'm gonna say John Carpenter's the thing I'm gonna okay. say that because Antarctica final answer uh yeah why not I mean, I'm not good with taglines either, so, you know, if it was okay. like something like in space, no one can hear you scream. I'm like, yeah, duh, it's alien. Duh, dude. duh, Jurassic Park. Um, okay, so find out next time. Now I said next week. I always say that. I think next week sounds better, but it's always, you know, next episode. Stay peeled. Uh, stay peeled to Facebook for the question and witty banter provided by our friends. Sorry, I just saw a picture of Wilford Brimley come up and anywho. All right. Every so, time you see Wilford Brimley, you gotta you gotta remember he yeah. two things about him diabetes and uh monsters in Antarctica. Yep. And also westerns and mustaches. Do you know okay, okay, so here's a fun thing. So I like to go to okay. watch movies like horror old horror movies. This is not a secret that I go to see them at the row house when they show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, or anywhere really, like anywhere that Shout plays out to Rojas. Yeah, but anywhere that plays them. And I remember the first time that I went to see the thing in theaters. I think since like, um, probably since like college. I think I'd seen it at one point in college in a theater somewhere. But like it had been the first time, and it was like kind of recently. And remember the scene at the beginning where uh the like the uh Norwegian like helicopter is like shooting at the dog. Yeah, the people in the audience were like, "No, don't kill the dog!" I'm like, oh my god, it's not a dog! Like these people haven't seen this movie. Oh, that's wild. So that, that was the first time they saw it. Yeah, so they didn't even know that this dog is like the thing, oh, and that dude. it's evil. And then, like, then the scene later when the dog is in the kennel and it turns into like the tentacled monster and starts like absorbing the other dogs, they were like losing their minds. <laughs> it's like to to have it be the first time watching the thing. What a joyous experience to be had. How funny! I like like ten minutes. I like shoot that dog. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like they're like, yeah, they're like, don't kill the dog. I'm like, oh no, they haven't seen it. They don't know. It's like, oh, no. no, it's like super kill that dog. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Once you see what it became, for dude, sure. what is wrong with us? This is like the I'm serious. This is our tenth episode in a row. Well, okay. I mean, about like dead dogs. Well, number one, that yeah. wasn't a dog. I was. Well, I guess the dogs in the kennel that the yeah, thing right. dog absorbs. Those are totally all dogs. Yeah. But no, but like, at least that's not the movie. That's just a movie I brought up during game time. So we'll find out if it's even relevant to the larger episode. But like in the actual movie this time, like spoiler alert, but no dogs die in the phantasm and phantasm, not the phantasm. Sorry. Hold on. So the, I, we can't uh, at the end of the movie. I can't, I can't, it'll ruin it. Never mind. All right. It's not worth, it's not worth the bit. It's not worth the bit. Stay peeled to find out if there's a dog that dies at the end. 
of this movie, uh, which I guarantee the, you there is. It's isn't. implied, though. It's implied. What? Okay, yeah, put a pin in that. Let's address yeah. that when the time comes. I have no idea, no idea what you're talking about. Well, um, in three hours, we'll see if I remember about it, but what? Sure, sure. <laughs> but no, I don't, yeah, like, it's not like we are over here relishing in the death of dogs, except maybe chocolate from the video dead. Yeah, the skunk rapist. <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, take that, Jared. <laughs> Explain that to your kid. Also... Shout out, you're awesome. So, yeah, I know. I know he listens. So, yeah, well, kinda. maybe like you'd mute my name, maybe you might want to mute the name uh, of our friend's kid. Docs it. All right, I'll take it out. Yeah, nice try, though. Um, I'll do this one. How about shout out to Jared's son? There you go. No one will ever figure it out. Um, damn, whose so, level at Fortnite is rather intimidating. Yeah, I mean, young people. You know, they have time. That, dude, that was the best burn I think I've heard in a long time. Which part? When he, when he popped into chat and was just like, hey, guys, not to alarm you. Oh, yeah. When he told us not to be intimidated <laughs> by his levels. Like, I've never laughed that hard. I think it'll, it was good. I needed it. Well, I was like almost uh, level 100. Like, I'm not like anything to sneeze at. Yeah, man. That was too funny, though. Anyways. All right. Sorry. Jared, I took it no, personally. It was funny, man. And then he took all your gold and he kept taking your guns. It's kids these days, man. They don't have any sense of etiquette. They just take all your stuff. It was so funny, man. Anyways, uh, back to, uh, (laughs) back to the, back to phantasm. So why don't we, uh, hop into the cast and crew here? Yeah, we can do that. But, uh, can I just explain why it is? I keep calling it the phantasm, the phantom. No, no, because Billy Zane. No, not at all. No, I'm (laughs) it's because of, uh, the Batman animated movie, Batman mask of the phantasm. Yes. Which I meant to make a joke about that earlier because I was like, oh, wait, Shane, I accidentally watched uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I watched the wrong movie. I was going to do that joke, but then I forgot about it. But then now every time I joke. say the movie Phantasm and I always say the Phantasm, it's a hundred thousand percent because of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, absolute banger. If you are a fan of it, Batman, the animated series, Kevin Conroy's Batman, Mark Hamill's Joker's in it. R.I.P. Dude. Yeah. R.I.P. to uh, Kevin Conroy. But yeah, um, but no, that that is such a such a good movie. No, it is for sure. I wonder if it's on Max or if they've like sold it off to somebody else because David Zaslav needs more money for another boat for his family. It's on Max. Oh, sweet. So even 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 Max is capable of making smart decisions every once in a while and keeping an absolute banger of a Batman movie on there. I think you have to, man. Mask of the Phantasm. Dude, I don't know. Cover though, art. Well, here's okay. Yes. But here's the thing. So I'm actually prepared. So you know how like there's like so much talk now about how like physical media, you want to go back to physical media because they're starting to like purge yeah. content. Stuff's just disappearing forever. Uh, mm-hmm. I have Batman Mask of the Phantasm on DVD. I'm ready for when the purge occurs. And like, you know what? If I want to watch the part where uh, the Phantasm is like, uh, what is it? Mr. Bro- Mr. Bronski, your angel of death awaits. It's like, I can hear it right now. Just pop that, d- that DVD into the receptacle and press play after the trailers and the animated menus because it was from that era of DVDs. <laughs> Boom. Like the for- the forced. Uh, cr- or, uh, the crazy animated previews. menus. Are, yeah, the forced previews and then the crazy animated menus. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then you finally get in and it's like, can I hit the play button yet or am I still watching a animated menu what what a so hey kids uh we're gonna sit you down for a second because i have a seat by again, the fire next to reggie and, and mike and yeah. let's have a chit chat 
do a little pat noise. You can come over here, sit down. Because uh, we're at the age now, fellas, fellers, that... Uh, Who are you talking a, to exactly? A lot, of, a lot of you kids don't know what DVDs are. That's not true. They know dude, what I'm DVDs telling you, are. They, dude, think about this in your head, okay? All right. They, they know what Blu-ray discs are. Think about uh, a child going over to their friend's house, and they never will have the experience of all of them falling asleep in the DVD menu replaying for 7,000 times on repeat, creating just just crazy fever dreams while you're all sleeping. So <laughs> like whenever I used to, uh, this is actually not even when I was a kid. This is when I was in college living at the fraternity so house. I was an adult. When I, was, I wasn't a, well, I was pretty much. Yeah. Legally I was an adult but, with the boy. <laughs> the, did with the bit. Okay. But almost related. So what would happen is, um, it was when, uh, my buddy Kevin was living with me for the summer and we got this idea in our heads that we're going to, uh, buy up all the seasons of Smallville and watch all of Smallville. But that would happen is like we'd like fall asleep and like the DVD menu would come up. And it was that Smallville song that somebody save me. Yeah. Just over and over again. Yep. It's so good. And oh my God. Yeah. Those are the days. <laughs> Dude, what a wild summer. Uh, I remember that. Um, not. Uh, yeah. You weren't living well, in the house at the time, but you, you were around. Yeah. Man. I, one of my friends, I, I mean, he's, if both of our friends, uh, I don't think he listens to the show, not because he wouldn't. I just don't think he knows it exists. And he also is probably in a van just chilling out, being a hippie somewhere. But, uh, dude, we came to that one birthday party in the summer. That was a that was a, a wild series of events that almost ended up with me in jail. So sorry, mom. But uh, <laughs> it was a crazy summer. But uh, yeah, shout out to Kevin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ko- Konnichiwa, Kevin. Oh, yeah, because he lives in Japan now. Yeah, that's true. Whoa, you didn't have to tell everyone. Uh, otherwise, it would be weird that you said, oh, number one, it's a very <laughs> large country. Like, he could be anywhere there. <laughs> well, they're going to do dox him. They'll never find him. <laughs> oh, man. But in other, in other, otherwise, it wouldn't make sense why you'd say konnichiwa. All right, whatever. I'm not, you're not going to guilt me into that one. <laughs> Should we just go continue the show? Like, we're, we've gone on too many tangents already. We're getting them out. We're shaking them out. Shake out them tangents. Uh, Sorry, that cold medicine's kicking in. All right. Which which way? Which kind did you take? All of them. Oh God! I did my. I did the Robitussin. I did the. the I had some like sinus and chest congestion stuff, and then I had just like some generic Dayquil, and I'm just like boom, bang, bing. Let's get them all done. <laughs> We're gonna got a show to do. This could take three hours. We got to do it. I could go outside and dunk a basketball. <laughs> uh, that's not true. All right. The Fantastic. Wait, no. Hold on. Take two. Phantasm Jesus. cast and crew. Do you do a, you don't do a musical bit for this, do you? We just kind of go into I it. I can. Do you want me to? No. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Use take two. Phantasm cast and crew. Here we go. Writer and a director. Double threat. Don Coscarelli, baby. Who's like way younger than I would have thought somebody who made a movie, a cult classic from 1979 would be. He was like in his 20s when he made this. Yeah. He was a young dude. His first credit that I had, which is both like a writing and directing credit again, is uh, Jim, the world's greatest, which I guess he was like the youngest director ever to like sell a major studio distributing movie or something. Like an independent film that got like a big studio distri- distribution deal. 
because mm-hmm. he was like in his like mid twenties or something when it happened. It's like wild to think about. And that was her. Yeah. Jim, the world's greatest. Uh, some of his other stuff uh, kind of alternate between bangers and things I don't know about. Uh, Kenny and company, the beast master Dio, the last in line uh, survival quest, phantasm three, Lord of the dead, phantasm Four, oblivion, Bubba Hotep. Uh, and John dies at the end, which is kind of an underrated little gem. John dies at the end. That's such a good movie. Yeah, yeah. And you might notice we skipped Phantasm 2. Apparently, he wasn't the director on Phantasm 2, but he was the writer on it, at least credited as the writer. Um, hmm. I don't understand what went down with that. I know Phantasm 2 isn't looked upon as favorably as Phantasm 3 and Phantasm 4. And I think he was also the director, or he was he had a writing credit on Phantasm Ravager, which is the one from like 2016 or 2017. But yeah. uh, I don't believe he directed that one either. But I can't check my math on that. So if I'm wrong, too bad. Sue me. Um, oh, also. Don't, uh, don't sue us. Don't sue. Well, no, sue me. Oh, wait, no, I don't want to get sued. Uh, and then also uh, he has writing credits on Beastmaster 2 through the Portal of Time and Beastmaster 3, The Eye of Braxis. But I think that they were just like characters created by credits you know how that happens sometimes like you get like a legacy credit because they right, continue to right. use your your yep. stuff yeah and kind of a fun fact that i didn't bring up in like the cast and crew list uh but there's actually uh both of his parents are on the credits for phantasm uh, i can't remember what his dad did but his his mom was on the makeup uh department and then the hairstyling department which is such a funny idea i can't remember what, what his dad's credit was but it's like a, it was a real coscarelli family affair here because uh, apparently, like both his mom and his dad were like best-selling authors, so oh, really, yeah. I mean, unless like my notes are totally wrong, which could happen. Cold medicine, Doubtful. but yeah. So, but yeah, it was it was funny that they were both there, and I think that I, I again I can't remember how the father was credited, uh, but I believe his mother was not even credited by her actual name, but in IMDb they had it as her name and then as like some other name like Sylvie something, which is kind of a funny idea. That she wasn't actually credited by her actual name. So Don Coscarelli, anything else you want to say about good old Don? No, I, I just like um, he makes good series and he sticks to them. So good on you. Yeah, like he actually had a plan um, apparently at one point, which was to do like a legacy sequel to the Phantasm series. I think before Ravager happened, mm-hmm. um, but he couldn't get to an agreement with the studio because his idea was to have like all of the old cast return, uh, at least the ones that are still alive in the later movies and then have them like pass the torch to like a new group to fight the tall man and his people. And then a new antagonist to take over for the tall man. But apparently like the studio didn't like that. They wanted to do a straight up remake. So he ended up doing a legacy sequel of his own, which was Ravager, which was done with like a different studio. So a lot of studio politics were involved with that, but it's kind of cool that he stuck to his guns. I don't think, ravager turned out that good uh but you know at least he made the movie he wanted to make i guess like that's a that's something all right next up music uh we have two uh, two uh, composers credited here fred myro and malcolm seagrave uh fred myro has a a bunch of credits um he had uh, in search of america scarecrow soylent green uh jim the world's greatest and kenny and company so you know getting back in with uh don coscarelli there uh, Phantasm 2 Survival Quest. Uh, What's up, Hideous Sun Demon? I don't know what that movie is, but that's a hilarious title. What's sounds up? right up our alley. Yeah, what's up, Hideous Sun Demon? 
Holy shit. Did you click on the pictures of this? No, I just saw the title. And I thought that's hilarious. And then it uh, moved dude. On. Does it look cool? Should we watch it? Uh, we should. Now I have to look it up. You can't just. I'm in the middle of a roll here. I'm just. I'm sorry. Well, now I've got to. It's only on Amazon, though, so maybe not. Oh, no. It's rent or buy only. Fucking Jeff. Jeff Bezos. Fucking Jeff. I knew we couldn't trust you. This movie looks kind of bad, though. The blaze of the sun made him a monster. Oh, wait, that's the original. That's the original Sun Demon. Then this one's tagline is your favorite neighborhood party animal is back. What did they do to this series? I I know, dude. I can't (laughs) wait. I might have to run that just to like now my curiosity has gotten the better of me. Because like the first one is him like in 1962, like murdering people with sun rays. And this one is like some kind of weird creature get it like hugging a lady. It's like your favorite party animal's back. It's like, is he? Last time I murdered, now I'm surfing. (laughs) They just ran out of ideas. It's like, uh, we have a property to make. Like, uh, well, we want to have a party animal. Who should it be? It's like, how about this sun demon? We need another legacy sequel to that guy. All right, cool. Love it. It actually looks like a, it's a, it says, they call it, it it actually looks like it's um, voiced over. So it's like almost like a uh, Mystery Science Theater kind of thing. Like a Kung Pao. Yeah, it's redubbed and re-edited. Love that. Spoof. I love that idea. That's so, actually yeah. cool. Yeah, I might have to pay to run that then. Um, if it, uh, love, I'm going to finish up with Fred Myro here. Um, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, uh, which I think is a composed music by kind of thing, because he also had Phantasm 4, Oblivion, and Ravager, and I think both those were legacy credits. Um, love is a Gun, Plan 10 from Outer Space. Uh, I don't know what that is. I was just like, I didn't, is that a sequel to Plan 9 from Outer Space that I just never have heard of? Um, but it was like in 1994, so it could just be like a terrible, like, straight-to-video movie. Who knows? Hey, guess what? What? It's a terrible movie. <laughs> What's that? It looks like it's a terrible movie. It's You can't watch it anywhere. Well, let me tell you a secret about Plan 9 from Outer Space. That's also a terrible movie, but you can watch it everywhere because <laughs> people have got in their heads that it's like a classic of the genre. <laughs> Um, I actually find Plan 9 from Outer Space very difficult to sit through. Oh my god. We gotta stop. I just read that we gotta go. Move on. We gotta go. Alright, uh, then Malcolm Seagrave. Uh, his only other two feature films were Magic and Note. Um, but he also had legacy credit on uh, Phantasm for Oblivion and Phantasm Ravager. So, uh, the same, like, composed main theme. And I guess that's all the music they used from both of them. And I think it yeah. might be because... Uh, they definitely had both passed away. I think by the time of Ravager, I don't know if they had by Oblivion or not, but they definitely uh, they passed away. Um, uh, I think in like the mid to late nineties. Next up is special effects, and we're gonna go to our man Paul Pepperman. Um, actually, this is the only film that he was like listed as a special effects supervisor on, but he was the production manager and assistant director. On Jim, the world's greatest, and Kenny and Company, so already a collaborator with Don Coscarelli. Then he's also a co-writer on uh, Beastmaster, like the Beastmaster, and then on the subsequent sequels, he's also listed as like a character, like uh, like credit on the Beastmaster television program, which I don't think Don Coscarelli had. So it's kind of weird that he had that extra bit of like credit. But there you go. Holy Paul, shit! I remember the show. The, the the Beastmaster show that was, it was like on yeah. WB or something, wasn't it? Like it was like on one of the off brand like cable networks. Maybe it was like even a straight to like 
syndication show like before that that was kind of put like on ice after like uh voyager wasn't it yeah i I don't know i think star trek voyager was like the end of like because like what happened was they used to be able to release shows like straight to syndication uh but then they would sell them to like independent like tv stations and stuff but then um upn was like the one buying up all the independent affiliate stations and then eventually merged with WB into the CW and that kind of brought an end to the independent affiliates and then like that era of syndication support. If I remember the way it went correctly, because it was like UPN's flagship series, I believe at the time was Voyager, which is ironic because Star Trek The Next Generation was the one that was like, gave rise to that era of syndicated television because it, it was straight to syndication it wasn't like a network show hmm. yeah super interesting let's let's write a book about it wait was i done with yeah i was done with paul pepperman bye-bye paul to the cast <laughs> uh, and first up is mike as played by a michael baldwin uh also kenny and company uh phantasm 2 but only a little bit because they actually recast him in that like he he played the child version of himself uh, but then they like replaced him with a different actor, which was like widely regarded as not a good move uh, for like an older version of him. But then he came back for Phantasm Three: Lord of the Dead, Phantasm Four: Oblivion. Um, he eventually would come back for Phantasm Ravager. Uh, I'm trying to be careful about the movies I say in the in between because I'm pretty sure that they are softcore porn. I don't know how involved he was in those, but he was in a couple of them. Uh, but then the ones that look like they weren't were It Came from the Dead, Pickaxe. Uh, and then Flay. So he's like doing some low budget horror, but also like this one's called Virtual Girl 2 Virtual Vegas. I'm like, ooh, that might be porn. So you can never really tell. But there you go. That's Mike. I'm pretty sure it's porn. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm just just saying. Uh, next up is Mike's older brother, Jody. It's played by Bill Thornbury. Uh, he was in a movie that's called Sarah T portrait of a teenage alcoholic. And that's, that's gotta be like some kind of like after school special or something. Right? Uh, what looked like a, some kind of like sex comedy. Maybe it was called summer school teachers. Uh, then the lost empire, which is like another one of those like cult classic movies. It's not like a horror one though. It's like more like an exploitation slash adventure one. Holy shit. Hold on. Uh, a second. He was, okay. Okay. Guess who was this is fucked up. Guess who was in Sarah T portrait of a teenage alcoholic. I will not guess. Think of think of a very fa- I mean there is a ton of famous people in this. Really? But think of someone Yeah, dude, there's a ton. Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker himself? Yeah. The Jocker himself? And Emmett Walsh is in this too. No. Yeah. I don't know who that is. What? I don't know who Emmett Walsh is. You 100% know who that is. I don't know who everyone is on earth. He's Bryant and Blade Runner. He's Harv and Critters. Okay, yeah, I do know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. No, no, Keep no, going. no. It's good. I like being corrected in the middle of a sentence. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kidding. Back to Bill Thornbury. He was in Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, and then Phantasm 4, Oblivion, I get, and Phantasm Ravager. But I don't think he was in Phantasm 2. Which is interesting that he's not, but also based on the ending of this movie, interesting that he's in the other ones. <laughs> yeah, right. I was gonna, I was gonna say this is a pretty. There is a reason for that. Do you want me to tell you what it is now, and then kind of spoil the movie later, no, no, no. or do, I can explain it, it at the end? Do it. Yeah, we'll do it at the end. And then he's in uh, uh, 
2024's uh, Cheyenne, and he also did the music for whatever Cheyenne is. I don't know what it is. It didn't have an image on IMDb, so I'm imagining it must be a pretty small project. Yeah. Um, but anyways, next up is our balding ice cream man hero, Reggie. <laughs> it's played by Reggie Bannister. And also like star of the series. <laughs> he is. Which is, man, this guy... This guy picked a haircut and fucking rocked it. Like <laughs> he got one that would age with him, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, dude, it almost looks like he cut it that way on purpose. I wondered about that because he's supposed to be. So I, I, I point this out in my notes, but he's supposed to be like one of a trio with uh, Tommy, who I haven't brought up yet, and then Jody, uh, who I have. But Jody looks way younger than both those guys. But I'm like, is it just because Reggie like has that giant ball spot and then like the ponytail in the back? Like, I don't know what that style is, but maybe it's like all on purpose. So you can just keep that classic look like that combined with like his ice cream man outfit of like the white shirt and the black tie and the white pants. And like, like, he has like, like the ice cream man look down. But um, yeah, some of uh, Reggie's stuff. So uh, he was literally cast like the character was written by Don Coscarelli for him. He like intended him for this the entire time. Like I have to imagine they're besties. Uh, so uh, Jim, the world's greatest Kenny and company phantasm Two, survival quest, silent night, deadly night Four, initiation phantasm three, Lord of the dead, the demolitionist Wishmaster, phantasm Four, oblivion, Bubba Hotep, the mangler reborn, which I didn't even know they made another mangler movie, uh, dead things, cemetery gates, uh, parentheses, but not the song by Pantera. Uh, mm. Last Rites, The Rage, Necronaut, Sigma Die, Spring Break Massacre, Satan Hates You, Carnies, Sawblade, Bloody Bloody Bible Camp, Zombie Family, Phantasm Ravager, Bone Jangles, Killer Waves 2. And basically the last six of those were all like within the last 10 years. <laughs> this man's still out there doing the Lord's work. I know. I want to see some of these. They look actually really good. I'm I'm very curious about it because you know what he's actually uh when I first saw him in this movie like the very first time I saw it I was like this dude's a joke and then like throughout the movie I'm like oh wait Reggie's the man so yes I would love to see more of the stuff that Reggie Bannister actual name Reggie uh, dude I want to see Metal Man that looks so good was that another one I I know I skipped around a little bit because he has a ton of it credits. has a 1.5 rating I truly don't think a lot of these latter movies are good. But I do think that he would probably gave them his all because he's seems like that kind of performer. They just he when he's going for it, he's going for it. Sure is. But yeah, now that we got our uh, main our main trio out of the way, uh, let's move on to our antagonist, the tall man, as played by Angus Scrim. Did you want to do one of his lines now? Since I kind of stole your boy earlier, uh, I'm trying to think of a good one. I've been waiting for you. <laughs> Isn't that one you said earlier? But um, yeah, I don't. He only has like three lines. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, and so some of them are the same line. <laughs> you play a pretty good game, boy. Yeah. Oh my God. We'll get there. I have that what entire a, line typed out. The entire like God. What two a, lines? He oh says. my God. It was so good. Um. Yeah, but he he was also like an oft uh, collaborator with uh, Don Coscarelli. Uh, he had Jim, the world's greatest. Um, he had uh, some other ones here. Lost Empire, Chopping Mall, which I, before we started recording, I told you, I didn't even mention Angus Scrim 
was in Chopping Mall, but he was the scientist that created the robots. And I, yeah, I failed us. But here's the thing. This is a more, more of a starring turn for him. So it's probably better that I, I saved my energy for this Angus Scrim. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Phantasm 2, uh, Transylvania Twist, uh, Subspecies. Like a very, like the Ted Nicolau, like Charles Band produced, like vampire movie. Uh, Munchie, Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, Vampirella, Wishmaster, uh, Phantasm 4, Oblivion, Satan Hates You. So you notice a couple of those are definitely ones that he collaborated with, like Reggie again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let me see. John dies at the end. Uh, always watching a Marble Hornets story, which is one of those like Marble Hornets that like those internet videos that we used to watch in college that I was always confused about. Um, so th- that one is not part of that. Well, it must be from the same people, right? Because this is a Marble Hornets story. No. Oh, never mind. It's, Sorry. It's a. It's a. It's a high budget, not high budget. It's a mid budget, like mockumentary of those people making that stuff. Oh, interesting. Why is he in it then? He doesn't even play. I don't even think he plays Slenderman. Well, no, he's not Slenderman. He's Tall Man. No, but he, but in the movie, he just plays a normal dude. But like, uh, there's a couple people in here that are like kind of like TV famous. Um, gotcha. Okay. Like Jake McDormand. So I don't know if you've seen Greek. He was in, he's like the boyfriend in Greek. Christopher Marquette's in this from Barry, like fanboys, just friends. Like he's the little brother in just friends. I don't know what just friends is. Uh, oof. um, he's, he's, he's mildly, he's famous. He's not like, you know, he's not like, uh, selling tickets famous, but, uh, Alexandra Brackenridge is in this and people might know her. She's the star of Virgin river now. So like, there were a lot of people that were kind of up and coming. What are all these this... things you're talking about? I've never heard of like any of these. Oh, Jesus Christ. Never mind. Wait, just friends? This movie with like Ryan Reynolds in it? Yeah, dude, that was a big deal. Okay. Uh, Doug Jones is in this one. So Doug Jones played the amphibian man in like Shape of Water. Uh, he yeah, dude, I know too. who Doug Jones is. Okay. Wow. He's Abe Sapien, dude. Wow. He's anyways. He's the he's in uh, he's in the <laughs> he's in uh, what we do in the shadows. He plays the Baron. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I thought you might comment. I'm on not. That. No, no, no. Since you since you called me out, I'm not I'm not playing your games. Anyways, no. It's uh. So it's yeah. There's a big difference between not me not knowing who Doug Jones is and not knowing a movie called Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart from like 2004 or something. Like how do I remember what that is? And Anna Faris. Oh yeah, you're She's right. Anna Faris is in it. Stop and the, the stop guy. the presses. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Can I finish with my dude Angus Scrim before we talk more about this forgotten Ryan Reynolds romantic comedy? I mean, I guess. <laughs> Chris Klein's in it. You know who Chris Klein is? Nah. He was the jock guy in American Pie. We should mm, move on. I've never actually seen American Pie. All right. Let's get out. What? I've never actually seen that movie. Like it missed me the the time that it came out, and now it's been like reappraised as actually being like problematic <laughs> so so i don't really want to go back and watch it like i've seen plenty it of was, things it with was like, problematic when it was out so yeah like i've seen plenty of things with like what sean william scott since then like and yeah. i'm like oh this dude's funny like i would like to see where he got the genesis of his career but it's like i don't really need to i've got goon i've got role models i don't really need any more sean william scott stuff you good like call. goon don't you i do like goon yeah i thought you would goon 2 is good too i don't think i've seen that one i did see the first one though Goon 2 is actually better because it's more of a like it's more of a take on the hockey scene right now. It's like that's more of like a 
introspective on like how the game's changing and people don't want to accept it and stuff. So anyways. Interesting. Well, let's uh, watch Goon 2 for our next movie. <laughs> totally fits our theme. Um, but yeah, finishing up with Angus Scrim. Uh, he did play in Phantasm Ravager. It's a pretty old dude by then. And this, I think, it came out the year he died. Uh, and then Dances with Werewolves was his last credit. And that was actually came out posthumously for him. Don't know what that's about. I just thought it was a funny name. Yeah. Um, next up is Lady in Lavender, the sinister alter ego of the tall man. It's played by Kathy Lester. Uh, and she basically just had two other credits like with this character, which is Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, and then Phantasm Ravager. And her only other credit that I saw was something called Wicked Little Girls. Wicked Little Girls. But Wicked is spelled with two Ks, and Girls is spelled with three Rs. And it seems like it's some kind of music project. I don't know if it's a music video or what it was, but it was some kind of music thing. I don't even understand. I mean, I just clicked on it to see what it was because I was like, well, it doesn't you give you any information. No, just that it was like some kind of, there's just her and then uh, some other, some guy who was involved and it was like, and it said music and like genre. So I'm like, maybe it was a music video or like a music project they did. I don't know. Mm. Next up is the fortune teller's granddaughter. Yes, that's correct. That's how she's credited. That's played by Terry Kalbus. Uh, just this and then uh, Kenny and company. So one other collaboration with, uh, with Don Coscarelli and everyone else in this basically. Uh, the fortune teller, the grandmother of the fortune teller's granddaughter, in case you didn't have a genealogy sheet handy, as played by Mary Ellen Shaw, and she was also in Kenny and Company. Uh, there's Tommy, the friend who's murdered at the beginning, as played by Bill Cohn. Nothing else. Uh, we had Kenneth V. Jones, the caretaker who meets an unfortunate but hilarious death. Uh, he was in Kenny and Company and then Hidden Fears, and that's all we got for him. Uh, there was uh, Sally, one of two girls that I could not tell apart. Um, Sally is played by Lynn Eastman Rossi. Uh, she was in Night of the Demon. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not Night of the Demons. <laughs> Night of the Demon. And not the mm. original like 50s version. This is like a 1980 version. Um, Project X, but not the like mid-2010s comedy that wasn't very good. Uh, Unlawful Entry, Reform School Girl, Rebel Highway. And in both of the last two, she plays a uh, home ec teacher. And I'm like, are they related? Or she, she does have the home ec teacher look. So she was cast in the, those two things as that. And then next up is uh, Sue, who Sue is actually credited as girlfriend, is played by Susan Harper. So I assumed it must be Sue. Why she was credited as girlfriend? Like, is that supposed to be Jody's girlfriend? Because I, I knew that they, like Sue and, and, and um, Sally were supposed to be his friends, but we never got like anything about their like connection beyond that other than they had an antique shop where Mike was supposed to stay. <laughs> and then well, last- so that's what got kind of weird. Cause it's like, okay, was the fortune teller and the fortune teller's granddaughter. Was that the same antique shop? No, that wasn't an antique shop. That was like a palm reading place. Yeah. That, that, I thought that was a different I think it was building. the same set based on the exteriors. It was a different building. I gotcha. But um, it could have been the same set. Yeah, maybe. And then the last person that I chose to add is, uh, Myrtle, who's credited as Maid, but is played by Myrtle Scotton, who just has a moment where she jump scares Reggie, and that's her only scene in the thing that we ever get the idea that she exists. And I thought it was so funny because <laughs> Reggie's like, Myrtle, he almost gave me a coronary, and then she just leaves and is just gone from the movie. We never met her before that. We never met her after again. She's like rolled in just to jump scare Reggie, and that was it. 
solid. Yeah. So is there is there anyone that you wanted to bring up or anything that I missed? Well, so what's up with Lavender and then double Lavender? Oh, uh, there was like a body double for her in a scene, I guess. I don't know if it was like that she appeared. She's supposed to be in two places at once and you can see her mm. in both places. And that's why they had to have her there. I don't remember seeing that scene, but that is what I read about it. I'm trying to think when that would have been. Oh, I bet you. I know. I know when it was. Do you think it's the scene where uh, when she's in the woods and she's about to hunt for yeah uh yeah she's about to hunt Jody when uh Reggie like grabs the tuning fork yeah for better or worse and then there's like that version of her and then the other version of her in front of the house and stuff like that I think that I think that's what that is yeah because that one we don't really see her face we just see her silhouette like kind of in like her like dress her lavender right. dress so that would be the only one I could think of that it would be I think you're right you're right you're right we did it we did it. And we're actually making pretty good time, probably because of all the cold medicine keeping me afloat. Or because most of the cast weren't in anything. So if you Just got to this Don point show, you're like, stuff. they yeah. keep going down these rabbit holes. It's like, well, we, we got to fill time, pals, friends. We've got airtime we have to fill. We have, we're, on, we're on for three hours. It's guaranteed, right? Guaranteed. But hey, you know what? Hey. We, we did the cast. There was actually one other person that was in the credits that I didn't bring up. So there you go. I could have gone, I could have gone deeper, but I didn't just say it now. There's one other person. (laughs) I don't have the stuff pulled up. Uh, His dad, by the way, was one of the funeral guests. Yeah. 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 That was right. That was one of them. All right. Here I have the stuff pulled up. Oh, it was, it was the friend Toby that like pulls up to just basically get like a exposition dump about how, irresponsible and selfish of a brother jody is oh yeah i remember yeah i remember that toby guy's like hey what are you in town for it's like uh i don't know our friend's funeral dude like it's such a funny my shithead brother yeah it's like hey now i'm stuck here because this kid knows i want to leave him and i'm thinking about sending him away i'm like what kind of guy are you dude yeah yeah that was great yeah that the actor who played toby was like in one other thing and i was like he was in this movie for like only enough time to like give some like brief exposition but if you want to know, since we have to know, uh, that so that actor is uh, David Arnson, and he basically was not in a lot of stuff. He was an assistant director on Grease 2, um, mm-hmm. assistant director on The Little Dragons, production assistant on The China Syndrome, Borderline, Boulevard Nights. Uh, there you go. Last credit was uh, additional crew on Escape from Tomorrow, which came out in 2013, and I've never heard of it. So... The audience will not be seated while we go through the credits of David Ardston, who played Toby. They will not. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we move on to the plot description? some scary noises scary like four notes so opening credits production company logos uh for some (laughs) reason bad robot is here which is like the jj abrams production company i have to assume that they like bought like some of the rights from whatever one of the original production companies would have been maybe they distributed like the movie yeah, yeah, like they got the rights to distribute it now or something like in the modern era. Right. I sort of wondered about that because like 
I don't, I don't think I mentioned it up top, but Phantasm is actually one of those movies that I picked up at like a DVD sale at one of my local like movie rental places when they do like their movie sales. Like it's like, oh, it's only five dollars for Phantasm. I better get it. So I'd like have like an old DVD of it probably boxed away at like my mom's house somewhere. It's like <laughs> I should probably dig that bad boy out, see what the logos were on that thing. Like who who was originally behind this thing? Um But I guess that I could no, I don't have to talk about that right now. I can just <laughs> talk about the plot. Um yeah, so the credits, you know, Phantasm, capital letters, red on black, ominous tones accompanying it. But don't worry, we will actually get a, a melody later on. So it's actually pretty good, in my opinion. We get an exterior establishing shot of the Morningside Mortuary. Uh, don't worry if you miss this version of this establishing shot, because Shane, you're going to okay. get it. You're going to get it again. Going to get it. How many times did you say they use this exact same establishing shot of this mortuary? Uh, at least 15. I would say probably uh, out of the 90 minute runtime, probably 20 minutes are establishing shots of this, of this from the same exact angle. Sometimes at night, sometimes during the day. Yeah, but I, so there, but there's a reason for that. And I actually love, I, ah, man, you're, it's going to be hard to press to find any criticism for me of any of the shots they've chosen. I don't I have a problem a with the shot. I just think they're going to use it a lot. Like there could be other yeah. angles they could use. I'm sure they're going to use it a lot in other movies too. Like I, I, if I had to bet, like I'll bet someone in the audience a beer that, that that building shows up in the second one. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it has to, if assuming that it's the same mortuary, but uh, anyways, uh, it's nighttime. Uh, and what there's two people having intercourse in a cemetery. Um, mm-hmm. I put bone down in the boneyard. So there you go. <laughs> That's what I put down in my notes. So I got to say uh, it. That, does that take you all night or? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> I have a sharp mind for witticisms. It took me moments to come up with it. Um, mere moments. <laughs> mere moments. Uh, then the dude is Tommy, uh, based on the woman, I believe she calls him Tommy and he's gotta be the most seventies looking dude I've ever seen. Yeah. Like what's he got? He's got like sideburns that go into a mustache and like long shaggy hair. He does. Cause I think this dude's in America, the band. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the, the, the woman, uh, is the lady in lavender that as we'll come to know her. Don't try to figure out the the geometry of what their positioning is based on the two shots we see. Doesn't matter. They're doing sex stuff. That's all we need to know. Uh, but what happens, Shane? She takes out a knife. Oh, no. She stabs him. He's dead. She knifes him. And then we get the first of many times that we will see like cuts between the lady and Lavender looking down and then the tall man looking down, which is how they establish that the two are one and the same. That the lady in lavender is in fact spooky tall man. So did everyone just like have sex with him? Uh what? Yeah. Okay. Is that are you having a hard time with that? No, I just like I just think it's like he's an interdimensional alien shape shifting presence, dude. He can be whatever he wants yeah, to Yeah. I get it. It's just like the juxtaposed of like it, it's a it's a lot. Because of maybe it's just how he's looking down the whole time. So it's like, did they even actually have sex with? I don't know. It just, I don't understand. Uh, 
I, moral of the story, I thought too long about this. Yeah, apparently. So. I, I don't know what it is like your question is really. I mean. Okay. And move on. And yeah. scene. Because <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I gathered that the, the uh, shape shifting of the face was more for us, the audience to under, to establish that the lady in lavender and the tall man are one and the same. Yeah. I'm going to argue. I think it was more for the person they're going to kill. Well, because they do, he like, he does it a couple times, like, um, change face mid, like, stabbing. It seems like a tall man likes to reveal himself when someone's getting stabbed. He's a man of immense violence. It would be funnier if he revealed himself mid-coitus. Oh, wow. just shock them to death. Well, <laughs> I... That's what I, that's what I was getting at. I just think it was kind of funny how, like... Uh, never mind. I don't really understand why even based on his ability to like do immense violence, like why he even needs to like do the lady in lavender subterfuge unless she's as much of like a, I I was wondering if she's as much like a part of his being now as tall man is. And that's like, it's like a compulsion of the lady in lavender to like seduce men and take them to the graveyard and then murder them. I don't know. Right. All right. So, now that we're done discussing uh, why, why the tall man has to bone down with these dudes, um, cut to the next day or to a day. I guess we don't know if it's the next day, but uh, we find Jody and Reggie. They're now at the Morningside Mortuary for Tommy's funeral. Um, and there's like, uh, what was it? Reggie, I think, says hell of a way to end a trio. And I was like, even though, like I said, Reggie is made to look like way older than Jody here. And also Tommy looked way older than Jody too. <laughs> so it was, it, they didn't seem like they were all the same age, but it might just be because of, uh, I get the feeling that Jody is not as responsible as these other guys are, or at least as responsible as Reggie is. Cause Reggie seems to have a very stable job. He's an ice cream man. Uh, so what is it? Uh, Jody's like, oh, I'm going to go take a look around. And then Jody's like walking around. The huge marbled like mausoleum area where like all the like the graves are put like, you know, like the graves in the wall. That's a mausoleum, right? Yeah, that's what a mausoleum is. Like the tombed graves that are up and down the walls. Yes. Yep. It's like, man, I love this scene like this. Anytime we're in a scene like this it's from the exterior of that building. And you told me that this like marbled interior is what you're dealing with. I would not have believed you. It's like so no. absent, like time and place. It's amazing. Um. But yeah, while uh, while Jody's walking around this uh, white marbled area, he hears some strange chittering. Um, the <laughs> the uh, strike uh, the strike back of the um, what do you call it subtitles or whatever the the whenever I turned on the uh, captions, it said warbling. I'm like, that is not what warbling is, dude. Like warbling is like a like that kind of thing. Right. It did not sound like that at all. It sounded like skittering, like chittering, like of a little critter. Yeah. But uh, we'll come to know that that's the that's among the sounds that are made by the Jawa like entities that serve the tall man. (laughs) Like literally just look like Jawas. They're just like uh, dwarven folk hidden in hidden away in uh, in large brown robes. The only thing they don't have is the glowing like orange eyes of like the Jawas. <laughs> Other than that, they basically are. So yeah, Jody, while he's walking around, uh, he takes a moment to look at uh, his, his parents' like grave area in that in that mausoleum. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, and Mike's too. We haven't met Mike yet. Oh, wait, coincidence. Cut to Mike riding his dirt bike through a cemetery because he has no respect for the dead. Um, yeah, none whatsoever. Yeah, what a what a kid he is. Um, but uh, whenever his like bike stalls out, which I couldn't tell if that was like a supernatural thing or if that was just like, has it taken good care of his vehicles <laughs> that they just break down. Uh, but he, he hears a similar chittering to what Jody was hearing in the mausoleum. But he actually gets a brief glimpse of the Jawa dudes as they like duck behind gravestones. I'm like, what are these little Jawas up to that they just like run around in broad daylight in a cemetery on the day of a funeral? Like, get out of here. Um, you know, back to Jody in the incredibly bright mortuary area. He's walking around trying to locate the chittering sound that he's still hearing. Um, you know, I put in my notes why the tall man who let his minions just run wild during a funeral is beyond me. But uh I feel like he doesn't have a lot of control over those things, despite the fact that they're supposed to be like his minions. Uh, Jody does get a glimpse of one of the Jawa dudes as it like scurries around a corner, but sudden tall man from behind. He puts his hand on Jody's shoulder very violently uh, in order to tell him, hey, the funeral's about to start. So there you go. We got to the chapel where the funeral's being held. Uh, you know, we got some mournful organ music. Uh, brief side conversation where Reggie tells Jody that it was a good idea not to bring Mike to see Tommy like this because um, it's an open casket funeral. Um, and since he apparently had uh, Jody says that uh, Mike had nightmares for weeks after their parents funeral. So it's implied that the parents passed away not so long ago. And then another thing I, I don't think I brought it up is that the excuse for Tommy's death, I guess, is that he committed suicide. So it's like. I guess that's how the tall man and the lavender lady like I find a way to avoid responsibility is by staging them as suicides, I guess. I don't know how they do that, but they're also like interdimensional alien monsters, so who knows. Oh, spoiler yeah, I really, alert. I think <laughs> Yeah. I think we should talk about cuz there are some things as we're talking about this that are clicking in my head with some of the symbolism. Okay. Um okay, so with the, was this movie like in your research was this movie written as part of a series or it did so well? They're like, Hey, we're doing another one. It was not written as part of a series. Okay. To my knowledge. So should, should we just like maybe rip the bandaid off? Because like, there are some things I want to talk about that I don't think we can. Okay. Unless, can I, and I don't want to go the whole way to the end of the movie and bring it all back up again. Why? Cause we're going to get canceled. Is that what you're talking about? No. I mean, why? I don't know. He said, like, cause we can't talk about it. No, we can talk about it. I'm just like, I'm just trying not to. Okay. So why don't we, let's just, we did this in a couple other movies. So why don't we just kind of pull the fog away from what's, what the movie is telling us is what going on. So like, or what, what the movie says is going on. The movie keeps it really vague throughout a lot of it yeah. though on purpose, because yes. I believe that there's a lot of world building that happens in this, but there's a lot of world building in subsequent movies. But I think that this one's goal is a lot more simple than what the latter ones would become. This one is, at least from my point of view, it's like a, a young boy's rumination on death and accepting death. Of? Of his family. Which includes? His brother. His brother. Yes. So, like, in the beginning with the, with the funeral and stuff, because at the end, there, there's, a, there's a good scene that kind of ties us all up with a bow. That's really nice. And you are watching the beginning of the movie, like thinking like, Oh, this is all kind of happening. But 
um, cause you think it's his parents or it's uh sorry, it's, it's the friend's funeral. I think it's Jody's funeral, right? I can see. And that, I think yeah. that, so I think that's kind of, I, I don't know. So like throughout the movie, there's going to be points and I'll, I'll bring them up that I think like, so the whole time like that Jody, it, it, I don't know. I just think it's not actually Jody. And then like, and this guy's representing death and like taking Jody to the afterlife. I thought kind of so for the kid. Right. But he's thinking that the funeral home director is taking his family away and turning him into monsters or something. So there is a know. very dreamlike and, and childlike logic to it. And I think that that all factors into why the movie is the way that it is. Like how Correct. there's like not always like a reason that certain things happen or how there's like some like conveniences and contrivances that are like a little too on the nose. And I think that's all intentional for sure. And done very well. Like the whole time, I'm, I, like when I was watching this for the first time, I, like I've seen this a long time ago. But my recent viewing of this, I felt like, I'm like, okay, like, man, this is very like dream-esque. Like there's a lot of things happening for no reason. Um, I didn't remember the plot twist, which was cool. So at the end, I got the payoff of like, oh shit, there actually was a dream or what they said is a dream. But then, you know, obviously there's a cliffhanger ending because why not? But um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was really effective. All the symbolism with like the color schemes like paint, the yellow paint was huge um, throughout the movie. So I don't know. There, there's, th this is one of the ones that I think if you're listening to this, I highly recommend watching this movie, the visual presentation of the, what's going on is so well done and so thoughtful. Um, it's, I, I hate to say it like this. It's almost like an art show, right? Like there's so like the, the way that the mausoleum set up, the way that how like the scenes at the house play out different colors that they use. I, I don't know. I, it just, well, that's why very I like well the, yeah, a lot of it seems like almost absent time and place and the times where it is like grounded in a specific time or specific place are times where something is invading it from that exterior world. Like I haven't gotten there yet, but there's a scene where Mike walks through town and it's just like a normal day in town, except Paul man's just walking through town, you know? So there's always like, it's 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 like that dream like logic of either it's a place so removed from what a place could actually look like that it seems like it's a dream or it's like a a waking nightmare where something strange enters into otherwise what would be a safe place like your home or your like you know town like that kind of thing right so yeah i, I think that's all that's all on purpose and i think that that a lot of like the more formalistic elements of it are probably on purpose. Like they're meant to be like almost disjointed or disconnected or more like incident than they are like a single narrative. I think that's all on purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think it works really well. It makes it weird to talk about, <laughs> but, but I think that it's good. So I don't want to show my hand and say, yeah, this is a good one, but yeah, it is a good one. So take that. Um, yeah. but I, I also like, but like some of the latter movies kind of mix it up. Cause like Jody is dead, but Hey, guess what? Tommy's also dead. Like both, both these men are dead. So who knows like where this is on like the timeline of the real world versus Joe, uh, versus Mike's dream life. And then versus what turns out to be 
objective reality, which becomes the latter movies, basically. So uh, Mike, as part of his ongoing character arc uh, throughout the movie of being places where he shouldn't, is hiding in a bush nearby and watching as the pallbearers are carrying uh, Tommy's coffin for like a graveside service, right? Which is kind of a weird thing for the hearse because the hearse had like a side door thing that opened and then like moved it out sideways. And I feel like every hearse I've ever dealt with, you've loaded it into the back. That was very strange. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, there's another long establishing shot of the mortuary from the same angle. It's always from the same angle. And I do agree with you that there's a reason for that. And that's so that we establish like so that it always feels kind of unreal. But it also they do beat the dead horse with that establishing shot, in my opinion. Um, right. Yeah, but so Jody and Reggie are preparing to depart the funeral home. Uh, Mike is still staying and watching the tall man as the tall man uh, what single-handedly picks up Tommy's coffin and loads it back into the hearse himself, which is kind of crazy because that's, I don't know if you've ever been a pallbearer. I've been once or twice in my life, unfortunately, and those are heavy. Those take very heavy s- six dudes to carry generally, or six people at least. So, um so yeah, so you just get like a scene of just like, and like Jody makes a, makes a comment about that later, but yeah, so, um, there you go. That's how we start to suspect something's up with the tall man, other than that. He's just kind of like creepy looking. And by the way, some of like what they did for him, for Angus Scrim is, is like, um, he's like purposely wearing a suit that's like too small and he's like wearing lifts. So he appears taller. Like there's a lot they did to make his outfit, make him look like he's like out of place, which I think is very effective. Like, I think, yeah, his performance works, but also just his physicality is so off-putting and it really works to the movie's benefit. Yeah, and, and it's shot so well. Like, the angles that they chose to use, the use of lighting in this movie is probably, I know we'll get into this later, but their use of lighting in some of these scenes are second to none. What's well, one of the things genre. that makes this kind of a hard movie to talk about? One is, like, that just the narrative logic is kind of, like, not there, but also... Yeah. How many times is the effectiveness of the scene because of how it's shot or how it's lit? And like, how do I describe that <laughs> like when I'm explaining a plot of a movie? It's like, it's not really germane to it. I'll try to call it out when I can and how, why it's effective, but it's just not like, if you're one of those people that like, don't ever watch the movie, I would think rethink it on this one. Like this one counts a lot on visual storytelling to make its point. Yeah. Very, um, God, why can't I remember this guy's name? It's, I'm, uh frank or frank Her- not frank herbert who did the dune movie uh it's like twin peaks very like twin peaks esque. there's a lot david of lynch. david lynch thank you oh my god there, yeah this, this new one which is uh, what denny villeneuve yeah no no the, the, i'm talking about the the 80s one but uh but no th- this had a lot of like this gave me like well technically twin peaks gave me phantasm vibes but there are a lot of scenes in this that are that are really like uncanny valley like off-putting there's like a lot of weird things happening i think it's interesting you chose david lynch's dune for that though because i really felt like no 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 i'm at twin peaks i couldn't remember his name okay yeah because i was gonna say yeah like his dune adaptation one of my issues with it is that it's so so much narration like so much of like the yeah like the main character narrating like paul paul atreides narrating and i really think that it kind of loses some of its effectiveness i'm sure some of that's probably like studio interference I'm sure David Lynch probably didn't intend to include all of that narration, but I think that kind of pulls me out of it. Whereas the visual still, yeah, the visual storytelling is something like Twin Peaks for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I just couldn't remember his name and we just talked about Dune. So that's why I kind of, I went there. But yeah. I, I highly recommend watching um, 
watching this movie. I think it's only an hour and a half. So yeah, it's 90 minutes, like 89 minutes. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's, it's short. Yeah. So after that situation, we cut to Mike, uh, walking towards a fortune teller's house. You can tell it's a fortune teller's house because there's a sign out front. It's just a picture of a hand on it. Um, we finally get a glimpse of the real, like before we just got mostly tones, but now we get like the real theme of this, which is like the do, 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 do. It's like, that's how it goes. Right. Uh, yeah. Change. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking in my head. I'm like trying to. The, so when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this sounds so familiar. What is this? And I was like, what are the odds that if I Google, what does the phantasm uh, theme song sound like? Or what is the theme song of the film phantasm? I don't want to say the phantasm. What does it sound like? And one of the Reddit posts was like, it sounds a lot like the theme from the exorcist. I'm like, uh, yeah, I guess kind of, I, I don't know yeah. if that's really the one I'm thinking of or not, but it definitely has familiar vibes, which I actually appreciated it. This, uh, you know what this sounds a lot like? Oh my God. It was a Sega Genesis game. Uh, I'll have to look it up and we'll, we can get that offline. But this, uh, this has like huge, like, um, is it like late eighties? No, I think it's one of the Castlevania games. Um, Castlevania Bloodlines? Maybe. Shinobi um, 3? No, definitely not. Golden Axe. But uh, uh, actually, no. Streets but of Rage. Streets of Rage. No, the, the music in this is fucking awesome. Columns. Like, let's, columns, thank you. You just looking up Sega games now? I'm not looking them up. I'm pulling them from my memory S- pals, which is where they Senec. all live forever. Vector Man. S- <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, um, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> awesome Possum. I don't think okay. anyone but me that, remembers Awesome Possum. Nope, nope, nope. I had it. It's great. <laughs> That's such a good game. That and Rocket Knight. There was like a very brief period of our lives that there was a lot of Possum-based gameplay. Um, so, I think Rocket Knight was an armadillo, though, now that I think about it. <laughs> Oh, you're going to so, get us canceled by, I don't know, Texas? Is that where Armad- armadillos live? By the lepers, they're going to come get me. <laughs> oh, low blow, just because armadillos oh. carry leprosy. Yeah. Um, Thumbs up for that one, right? Yeah, well done, armadillos. Oh, you didn't get the leper joke? Oh, because the because body parts <laughs> fall off because of leprosy. That's rude. All right, that was a good diversion, but... Back to Mike. Um, he he goes in the fortune teller's house. He's led in by the fortune teller's granddaughter. Um, clearly not Mike's first visit to the fortune teller. Uh, because what is it? The the fortune teller's granddaughter is like, Mike has returned and wants to talk to you. It's like, okay, so he's just like chilling with his local fortune teller. The visit is because Mike has learned that his brother Jody is planning to leave, uh, which puts Mike in a precarious situation because he's 13 and uh, Jody is his only guardian. And it's like, well, how does he know this? Well, here's how he knows this. Sudden cut to uh, Mike and Jody uh, driving Jody's, what was that, a Plymouth Barracuda, I believe, was the car. And then Mike was driving. I'm like, he's 13. He's definitely not old enough to be driving. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, there's something wrong with the car. And, uh, you know, Mike is the one who's working on fixing it. And it's kind of funny because... Whenever Mike says, I think it's whatever, he says what he thinks the problem is, and Jody just kind of like shrugs, like he doesn't even know. <laughs> like, it's like, is this Jody's car? He doesn't even know what's going on with it, but Mike does. I um, don't think Jody's there, though. Well, I. You see what I mean? Like, like there's a couple scenes with the car and stuff 
it's like maybe he's trying to fix it because he's trying to reconnect with his brother. And like that's when the weird things happen. And then he has this interaction with Jody. Yeah, except another human being comes and has an interaction with Jody while Mike is under yeah, the car but, fixing but it. Like, but also that person has their own situation later too. So No, he doesn't. Is that the Oh no, you're right. No, that, he never shows the, up again. This is Toby. This is the dickhead brother scene, got it. Yeah, this is the dickhead brother scene. So I think this is a real memory. Yeah. That this was like you're right. part of probably why Mike's having such a hard time. Right. So basically, even though Mike is right there working under the car, Jody is talking to uh, Toby. Um, and there, it's a really weird exchange. And I guess it's supposed to be the 1970s of it all. But uh, so like Jody's like, oh, Toby, what are you in town for? He's like, yeah, Tommy's funeral, dude. Like where we just were. Uh, and then we get a weird line from Jody where he's like, I just don't get off on funerals, man. They give me the creeps. Like, what? Yeah. Who who enjoys funeral? Like, who's like, oh, man, I can't wait till the next uh, funeral. I hope they do like some Ave Maria or some shit. That'll be amazing. Hey, tall man. Just saying. Well, tall man is he's a okay. Yeah, I guess if you're an alien <laughs> monster from another dimension, you definitely love funerals. And if it's like your bread and butter, that's how you make your money, presumably. Someone's paying this man. Um yeah. But yeah, but even though Mike is right there working on the car, uh Jody is talking to Toby about how he's thinking about setting Mike to live with their aunt since he's 13. Um, because he's like you know, Mike follows me around all the time like he knows I'm going to leave. And then we cut to one of the most hilarious scenes, which is like Jody just riding a bicycle down the street and Mike literally running behind him, like jumping like fences and jumping bushes and like hiding behind trees. <laughs> it's like he definitely rolled a negative on his stealth score on that one, dude. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but back to the fortune teller. And this is the part that I was like, I don't know that Jody is dead in this scene. Um, the grandmother says to Mike not to worry that if Jody leaves, he'll take take Mike with him. Uh, and then uh, he tells him what he witnessed with the tall man, how he's loading up the, the coffin alone. And then when Mike tried to drive off, this is a little bit more, as the tall man like seemed to use like psychic powers to cause Mike to crash. So he like wiped out his like dirt bike and then had to get back on it. It's like, interesting. Tall man demonstrating some supernatural powers here. Good old tall man. And I don't know if we've established it yet, but the fortune teller is not speaking. The granddaughter is uh, speaking for her. Um, So the fortune teller through the granddaughter uh, says uh, that that her grandmother wants to play a game. And suddenly a black box appears and they ask Mike to put his hand in it. Um, And it's basically that moment from Dune. Where Paul is doing the, like, the yeah, the... the uh, Fear is the mind killer. The Gom Jabbar. Yeah, isn't that what it's called? The Gom Jabbar. The Gom Jabbar. Yeah, so it's like um, putting his hand in the box and then the granddaughter tells him not to fear. And she's like, fear is the killer. That's what grandmother wants you to learn. I'm like, okay, yeah, fear is the mind killer. That's like from Dune. <laughs> like, what is, what is happening right now? And apparently it's just because Don uh, Coscarelli loves Dune. And this is before the first Dune movie came out. So it's like no one had done it yet. So he's just like going to throw in some Dune stuff. Why not? Um, Good old Dune stuff. Yeah. So Mike like puts some money on the box and then the box vanishes again. And so Mike leaves. The grandmother laughs and then the granddaughter laughs. I'm like, why? Like, are they evil? Like, what's going on? But then it like, like zooms in on the granddaughter who gets like a look of concern on her face. And so then we are like looking at like an exterior shot of Morningside again, like the 
So Morningside is like the entire area. So there's the uh, the gates that are like outside of the entire like property. Then there's the graveyard. Then there's the mortuary, and inside the mortuary is a mausoleum where like there's also bodies and like the crazy marble architecture. So just to give you a sense of place as I understand it. Now we see a blonde woman or a blonde girl. I can't I can't tell how old she is approaching the uh, the fence for Morningside with flowers. Was that supposed to be the granddaughter of the fortune teller since it cut from her look of concern to that? I don't know, man. This is when it started to get kind of hard for me to tell which of the blonde actresses that all look the same that they used. And then there's that one scene where they're all in, the two are in the car together. I'm like, I'm like, how, like, how are these people not the fortune teller granddaughter, but they're also at the same time? I don't know. I, I honestly, dude, I couldn't tell you. Maybe is this the girlfriend scene? Maybe no, no, no. That's Sally and Sue. Those are the ones who have the <laughs> antique shop and get attacked in their Volkswagen Beetle later. So that's different. I know, but they all look the same. But this is a different girl. De- this girl, her, okay, so her hair is about the same length as the fortune teller's granddaughter. But it looked like it was slightly lighter, and I didn't get, they never showed her face, so I couldn't see if she had the same tattoo. So it's not clear. So this might be the fortune teller's granddaughter. This might be a totally different blonde woman. Who knows? The movie certainly doesn't want to help us figure it out. But No, and Dawn, Dawn has a type, for sure. When he picks casting. <laughs> you very well may. So yeah, anyways. Uh, yeah, so this this other girl's approaching like the morning side, the fence outside the cemetery on their way to. Uh, and then we get another established shot of the mortuary implying that she's going in there. Uh, but no time for that. Reggie arrives at Jody's house in his ice cream truck with a guitar in tow in order to join Jody, who's playing his guitar on the porch whilst wearing a hat. And then we just get a scene of them like singing and jamming together in a very 70s style musical interlude, I guess, to establish friendship. No, they're good. I just like they're actually playing. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it was I mean, yeah, if you want to like that was when I was like, okay, I could see them. Like I couldn't see them being friends earlier because they look like they were too different in age. Then whenever like, you know, Jody's already playing a song that he's like, I guess, quote unquote, been working on. And then Mike just like pulls out his acoustic and just starts playing along. And stuff like that. And they seem to have, yeah, it seems like that's how guys would jam in the 70s. It's just like, it's not the only time we're going to get a scene of Reggie playing his guitar for no good reason. And it's just going to happen sometimes. And that's okay. But there was actually a reason for this uh, this scene, wasn't there, Shane? Yeah, it's a Ario Speedwagon reference. No. So after their jam session, Reggie takes out a tuning fork and then hits it so that it hums. Yeah, top that joke, Stefan. Hmm? I said top of that joke, Stefan. What, the Ario Speedwagon one? Yeah. What was the joke? You tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Is that an Ario Speedwagon joke? Yeah, it's their album cover. With like the fish with the tune. Never mind. God damn it. But he's tuning a guitar. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not playing your games. (laughs) Anyways, uh, but that was the point of that was to establish the tuning fork thing. From the tuning fork, we cut back to the mortuary where uh, the girl, the blonde girl from earlier, uh, goes to a room where there's a similar hum. She opens the door and there's a bright light in there. And then suddenly we're back to the exterior shot as she screams. And that's it. That's all we get from that. Um, She may or may not be dead. So Jody, uh, you know, in his Barracuda, 
pulls up to uh, Dune's Cantina, a small hole-in-the-wall bar with, uh, based on the parking lot, literally no one in it except the proprietors and one woman who is uh, wearing a lavender dress. Oh, no, Shane. It's the lady in lavender. Oh, man. Tall man strikes again. Tall man strikes again. But, uh, and then, so Mike continuing to creep. He's, like, watching from outside through a window. He's like, Mike, you got to, like, sort yourself out. That's also one of the reasons I think it's, like, everything that's happening that he witnesses is suspect. Because how can he literally be everywhere all at once? Uh, Yeah, so Jody ends up leaving with the Lady in Lavender. Uh, He says that uh, his house is just up the street. But she's like, oh, no, no. She wants to go to the graveyard. And uh, for whatever reason, Jody seems to think that this is totally normal. He just has a lot of game. Like, let me tell you, there's no guy has that much game that you just go in and there's one lady in the place and you happen to leave with her to go have intercourse in a graveyard. That's not real. That's a red flag. Don't go. <laughs> That's a red flag. He's like, hey, you know, my friend killed himself in this graveyard. Yeah. You know what? Let's definitely have intercourse where my friend killed himself. But that's show business, baby. So, yeah, as they walk, the Lady in Lavender starts, like, just making out with Jody, uh, who I'll give him credit. He does say, you know, this is kind of spooky, isn't it? Uh, But, you know, because the power of boners is stronger, he doesn't leave. And he continues uh, as they start to make out and lay down on, like, one of those big flat graves. It's like, again, like, come on, guys, like, have some respect for the dead. Like, Jody Jody and, and Mike are basically having a contest to see who has less respect for the dead. One's trying to bone down in a boneyard like his dead friend. And the other one just rides a dirt bike through the graveyard. So maybe these kids deserve to have their parents killed is all I'm saying. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, yeah. But then I think the only other funny part of that scene is like uh, whenever the lady in lavender, like her boobs are revealed, Mike creeping from the bushes says, wow. And basically the same time Jody does like, ah, they're brothers, but also he's 13. Uh, he's this is weird. <laughs> or also that. Yeah. And also, it's a tall man, so. Um, but then, uh, you know, Mike Mike is distracted from the scene of his brother about to bone down by some growling in the nearby darkness. Uh, he goes to investigate it, as you do. And after some additional snarling, uh, he gets chased by one of the Jawas. One of the Jawa doors just emerges from the woods and is running at him. So fast. It's fast, dude. Those things can scurry. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, on the run, Mike runs by where Jody is still attempting to get busy with the Lady in Lavender. Uh, unfortunately, it's before he's been murdered. And he has, like, some white underpants in his mouth. Were those his? Because the only underpants we saw were his, and they were white. So I was like, what's he up to? It's a tall man. It's a tall man. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Because Jody says to Lady in Lavender, wait here. That's my little brother. I think he has some kind of problem. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he just ran screaming through a graveyard. He might have a problem. Uh, so Jody runs him down and finally catches up to Mike to find out what the deal is. Uh, Mike describes uh, the the Jawa that, that chased him. But he describes it as like fast and brown and low to the ground. And Jody says it's probably just a gopher in heat. Is like, yeah, you should have explained that the brown you saw was his robe and it was bipedal. Jody, in order to uh, make amends, gives Mike his keys to drive his car home. I remind you, he is 13. <laughs> but yeah, he gives his 13 year old brother his keys to drive home. And then he goes back to uh, get back to the lady he left behind in the graveyard. 
luckily for him, but he doesn't realize, uh, she's no longer there when he gets back. She's Godzilla. Well, not Godzilla. Godzilla means dead. Uh, she's back to being uh, Angus Scrim, probably. Um, so back in his bed, Mike has a nightmare, which is probably one of the spookiest scenes in this, where his bed is yeah. suddenly in a graveyard and the tall old man is just standing over him. And then all of a sudden, like zombies burst out from the ground and start grabbing at him. Uh, and then cut to Jody once again, rolling up to the Dunes Cantina. Um, and this was a weird scene. This is when I started to get suspicious about how Mike can be everywhere all the time. So right. like Jody literally pulls up to the Cantina, gets out, goes inside, and Mike is already there, like walking up to it. It's like, how could he be like, he's not the Flash. Like, but he's already there, like, as Jody arrives in a car. Oh, I put, apparently, Mike is the Flash in my notes. That's so funny. I'm so funny. Um, but yeah, so, <laughs> why? <laughs> uh, then, you know, but he's... he's High five yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, give me uh, two gold stars, please. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Mike, I guess it's daytime, so he's not worried about his brother. So he's going to go and walk down the streets of the town. Uh, and Mike's just enjoying a sucker. You know, he's going by a payphone. He checks the, you know, uh, the little thing at the bottom to see if there's any discarded quarters. We have to explain what that means. Like young people, like sometimes people would hang up the phone fast enough that the quarter would get discarded and they would just forget about it. So you could sometimes get some renegade quarters from those. Mm -hmm. um, but as he's walking and just like looking at stuff, he hears like really loud footsteps, like really loud. And it turns out it's from across the street. It's the tall man just walking through town looking creepy. I love this scene. So basically, I'm going to try to describe it. What happens is Mike is staring at the tall man. The tall man is walking and he's walking by Reggie's ice cream truck while Reggie's like opening it and like, you know, either like lo probably loading up with like, I don't know what he's doing, just like doing ice cream truck work. And the tall man stops and he turns and it's like he's turning to look at Mike. But then he like closes his eyes and like takes a deep breath and puts his hand up and you can tell it's actually the cold air coming from the truck that stopped him. So he takes like a big breath of the cold air and feels it and then just turns and continues to walk. And I thought that was a really cool scene, especially since Very cool. the reason it like so he thinks like the tall man has seen him like observing him. But really, the tall man is just obsessed with the cold, which we know from the tall man's home planet, or at least the planet that he calls home now that it's very hot. So the cold air would attract his attention. I love that scene. That's such a cool little scene. It sucks. You didn't see more of his home world. You get like a 10 second glimpse, but that's budgetary constraints, baby. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. But back at the cantina, uh, Jody is asking the proprietor about the girl that uh, he left with and asking if she ever came back to the bar after they left together. And uh, the bartender is like, ah, was she too much of a woman for you? Or so I did, it's probably not how it sounded. <laughs> Dude, if I if I closed my eyes, I'd be I'd be right You'd there. You'd be right in I the mean, moment. Uh, but then Jody's like, "Nah," but we uh, we were messing around in the cemetery or whatever. And the bartender gives him like a troubled look. He's like, "Yeah, dude, because your friend was just supposedly buried there like two days ago. Like you freak, you little weirdo." But um. Anyway, back in the garage, 
Uh, Mike is under the Barracuda working on the car, because again, it seems like it's more his car than his brother's. Which, yeah, there could be reasons for that. We don't know. Uh, he hears the telltale chittering of our Jawa dwarves uh, in the garage around him. Uh, he doesn't see them. But then suddenly the car starts shaking around on up on top of him. As though they're like jumping on it to try to get it to fall off of the jack. They do manage to knock it down. But Mike is really small. So he's not like crushed. He's just kind of pinned a little bit. Then he actually manages to crawl out after he uh, hits Jody in the foot with a hammer when he sees his feet, thinking he must be one of the Jawas. So he just like smacks his his brother in in the foot with the hammer. And he's like, I heard he, them. They were in the room with me. Sorry, what? Well, it's like he he like could care less that that car fell on his brother. Like that would be a pretty alarming thing for if I would have walked into a room and see a car fell off the jacks on top of someone. Yeah, I would definitely be concerned. <laughs> like, sorry, I had to sneeze, but not, yeah, not a fan of this scene coming up or this dialogue. Oh no, what he says, what his brother says. Yeah, it's terrible. Don't say it. I'm not going. I'm not going to. I'm not All a right. monster. So here's how I put it in my notes. Jody suggests that because like. Mike is like, oh, it was those things. They were in here. They knocked it down or whatever. Jody says that it must be a local mentally handicapped boy. That's what he says. He uses a word that we do not use nowadays. This is 1979. Yeah. yeah so back in his room, uh, Mike is in there getting ready for battle. He like straps like a knife to his leg. Uh, he takes a small locket of some sort, which I'm assuming must be related to his parents. but We never actually get to see what it is. Um, but he's like, he's ready to go out and presumably hunt some of these Jawa dudes. He's like, he's done. He's done dealing with them. They came to his house. Uh, so he arrives at Morningside. Uh, he hops the gate to get into like the cemetery area. Cemetery is pretty peaceful. Uh, he's able to stroll through it without any Jawas about, which is weird because they were there in broad daylight, but not at night, I guess not at night all the time. Um, Maybe they were there to catch a peep of the Lady in Lavender bone in town. That's why they were there, too. That'd actually be pretty funny. So, yeah, Mike cuts through the bushes so he can get to the same exact establishing shot of the exterior of the mortuary. Um, he finds a window that leads to the basement. Uh, and I was like, oh, rather than try to be stealthy, since he's, you know, breaking and entering, he just kicks the window and breaks it and makes as much noise as possible. So, rookie move. Um, yeah, but when Mike gets in there, he like fires up a lighter and is looking around the room he's in. Uh, he finds just some old crap. He finds like a weird wig on like a white mannequin style head. Uh, I don't really know why he stopped to observe that, but he did. Uh, then he goes through like some curtains into a room full of like open coffins, probably like a showroom for like caskets and shit. So he walks in there, uh, but then he hears a thump as a door begins to open at the far side of the room. Mike hides in one of the coffins as a caretaker walks in. Uh, probably, I don't know, having heard the glass breaking. Um, but the caretaker only gets like halfway through the room when the tall man like gets into the doorway and then just kind of like wordlessly beckons like the the caretaker to follow him. So they just leave. Like, I don't know if the caretaker is supposed to be an alien or if he's just like a human thrall of the tall man. We don't get a lot to understand. Yeah. So like the other subplot of this movie is uh boy and his brother murder and terrorize funeral home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like if, if they this weren't, was if, a non, yeah, if they weren't alien monster folk, right. yeah, they would just be like 
messing with these like this old dude and trying to run a small business. Um, but yeah, so uh, you know, Mike exits like follows them. It's a little tense as he like goes through the door slowly, but he gets into the main body of like the the a mausoleum area, like all of the marble halls and like the the tombs and the walls and all that. Um, and he's following the sound of like a rhythmic thudding that he's hearing. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's also hearing some snarling coming from in there. Uh, so he opts to uh, run. Uh, but then he sees uh, one of the metallic orbs. One of the most famous things from these this movie is the orb. The orbs mm-hmm. that fly around. And the orb is flying at him. Uh, he manages to duck it. But at this point, he's finally made enough noise that the caretaker finds him. So the caretaker catches him. And, you know, Mike's no slouch, even though he does have a knife, he could just murder this guy. But instead, he bites the guy in the, the wrist hard enough for him to bleed a bunch. And then he ducks just in time for the, the metallic orb to make its, like, return trip and embed itself straight into the caretaker's head via two large, like, blades that had come out of the orb. And mm-hmm. how about this gruesome little scene? Probably one of the most famous scenes in the movie. Where like the like the drill comes out of like the orb and just like drills into the caretaker's skull. This is like blood shooting out, and there's like blood like flying out the other side of the orb as it's like drilling into his head, and he's like trying to pull it out. That was a pretty gnarly one. Like yeah, it's like instant faucet. Yeah, the yeah, blood just flying out the back of it. It's crazy. Like it was awesome. I don't know the utility of this, but man, it's wild. <laughs> so I'll take it. I don't care. I won't let science get in the way of a fun kill. So yeah, Mike is like standing in the hallway at like an intersection of two, two areas of like uh, uh, mausoleum hallways, not realizing behind him, the tall man had come around the corner and is just standing there ominously. Um, and this was really cool. So when he does finally turn, I was like, not only does Mike fail at his stealth checks, he fails at his charisma checks. So he says, um, and just pauses for a while and can't seem to think of anything to say. He just says, oh, shit. And then he, like, starts to walk. And the tall man starts to walk. And they kind of, like, square off for a second. And then Mike just books it. <laughs> the tall man's running after him. It was, like, it's such a funny, like, that's a little kid way to deal with that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty effective. And, like, I love the way the tall man runs. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, Angus Scrim is doing, like, his, he's doing a lot of work, like, for the physicality yeah. of what the tall man it's does. like running in heels. Yeah, yeah, basically. Just, like, he, like is doing like a high speed shamble basically. Um, so, uh, Mike manages to get back to, I think the basement steps. I, I I'm guessing. And he shuts the door on the tall man, not realizing that he's, uh, shut his fingers into the door and they're still there. So he yeah, takes out his knife and cuts off the tall man's fingers, which instead of bleeding, you know, regular blood, like the caretaker, they bleed a yellow icor. And he lets out like this crazy huge whale that sounds like a siren. Like that tall man was making noise. Uh, but Mike doesn't have a lot of time to rest because uh, when he, you know, moves down into the basement area, he is once again being pursued by Jawa hoods. Uh, they're coming at him. He manages to climb back up through the window that he broke. Um, and they try to stop him. They're like grabbing his feet and trying to pull him back in. But he manages to get out. And we cut to the next morning where Mike is at home and he's asleep on the stairs with a shotgun in hand. And it's a pretty long shot while like Jody like gets up and goes to the bathroom, flushes the toilet and comes down and just like goes next to Mike and just unloads the shotgun. 
like really, you know, not, not too alarmed. I guess that his brother decided to sleep with a shotgun on the stairs. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, that's his brothers, right? Kids yeah. will be kids. Um, so yeah, uh, Mike. Uh, this time though, he did keep one of the tall man's fingers in a box. So he takes it out and reveals it to Jody as evidence of all the supernatural stuff that he's been convinced about this entire time. And uh, to to like many people who think this movie might go another way, surprise. Uh, the fingers in there, it's moving on its own, and it has that yellow goop icor stuff that isn't blood. So Jody's like, "All right, I believe you." It's like, "What? What's going on up there?" You know, kind of that kind of thing. Did you did you notice? And I, there was a scene coming up that Jody. I don't. I don't know if we get to it later, but the color yellow seems to be very prevalent. Like, and the shade of yellow is oddly specific to the same color as the road paint yellow oh from when mike is on the road later yeah but you but you learn that from what uh from what reggie says that um jody died in a car accident yeah yeah yeah. so like there's a scene where he like hops out of the car lands face first on the pavement and then opens his eyes and it's that yellow streak of paint there's so much that supports your interpretation of this and so much of it that gets disproven by subsequent movies yeah well i'm right i know it's i get it <laughs> yeah but the idea that he's like reckoning with his own brother's death yeah no there's a lot there um anywho any whomst uh any yeah so jody jody believes him uh and so mike uh reveals about what he saw about the tall man loading the coffin and the hearse alone jody's like what those things gotta wear like weigh like 500 pounds and it's like i mean easily <laughs> easily 500 pounds probably probably more than that um but yeah so jody uh jody decides uh they should tell the sheriff and report this uh so he sends mike to go get the evidence um however when mike gets to his room he notices that the box isn't moving like that would be because of the finger still being very much animated so he stops and opens the box and what is in there but like a monster fly yeah, that was cool. Just kind of flies out there. It's like, it's like game over, man. Uh, and there's actually like a pretty cool scene after that. It's like after he like dives to the ground, he can't hear the sound of the fly buzzing anymore. So he's like looking at it. We just get like a long scene of like slowly the fly like emerging from like behind his head, like moving up to the top of his head. So I thought it was pretty effective. A lot less effective than the scene afterwards where he uh, manages to capture it in like a pair of pants. And then he's just struggling with the pair of pants, like the flies in there fighting him. And it's like one of those scenes, like of a movie where they didn't have the budget for anything real effects wise. So it's just the actor pretending to fight with it. And then he brings it down to his brother who like does the same kind of fighting against it. And there's a moment where like they stop hearing the buzz and it stops fighting. So they both stop and then suddenly it starts up again. I'm like, that's not that effective. They do manage to get the fly to the garbage disposal where they stuff it in and manage to kill it just in time for Reggie to arrive. And Reggie at this point, he's none the wiser. He doesn't know about all the supernatural nonsense. Unlike the Reggie of later movies that becomes basically a phantasm fighting badass. So he wants to like, kind of help Mike feel better about like his life going all crazy. And he's like, how about you take a ride along with me at the ice cream truck? Cause summer school is going to let out soon and stuff like that. And I'll need some help with crowd control. So Reggie's just trying to be like another brother kind of thing to Mike. Um, but he notices the vibes are off and Reggie's like, uh, what's going on? 
when suddenly the fly emerges once again from the garbage disposal and returns to attack Mike. But Jody captures it and forces it down in the garbage disposal, presumably for good this time. And uh, Reggie, you know, takes it in stride. Basically, he's just like, what's going on? <laughs> but then, it, like, basically, I, I guess they fill in Reggie off screen because we cut to Jody giving Mike a speech about murder. Do you remember this? Where he's like, don't point. Oh, a, the don't point warning a, shots or whatever. Yeah, don't point a gun at someone unless you intend to shoot and don't shoot unless you intend to kill. It's like, hey, man, this kid's 13. Are you trying to do send him to send him to a high school in the mid 2000s? And don't kill unless you want to send them into next dimensional beings uh, home planet. <laughs> and don't shoot unless you want to kill a flying orb. But um, And don't flying orb unless you want to. No, I'm sorry. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so Mike, uh, uh, you know, I guess at this point, I guess Mike, um, Mike is going to be home alone. Jody is going to go to... Uh, to see what's going on, I, I guess. Uh, he wants to have a look around, is what he tells him. Uh, Again, how fucking close is this cemetery to their house? Uh, apparently really close. Because remember, whenever um, whenever he was at the cantina, with when he had the Lady in Lavender in tow, he's like, oh, my house is just up the street or whatever. But she wanted to go to the cemetery instead. So they must be like really close to each other. Like maybe same street, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Mike reminds Jody about the broken window in the basement that he he put in there uh, so that he can uh, get in there and have a look around. Arriving at Morningside, uh, we get yet more mileage out of the exterior shot of the mortuary building, um, which is interesting because actually I keep saying it's the same angle, but they actually have times where you see people in front of it or items coming from it. So it's definitely like different shots. They just always use the same angle, which I think adds to the effectiveness, like you said. When you scolded me for making fun of it. Um, well, I'm not. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> um, sure. So Jody arrives at the basement window uh, and he enters and um, he go, he turns on a light, which, you know, I guess Mike never thought to try to see if there's a light there, but he turns on the light. and He doesn't notice that there's like a Jawa dwarf just sitting there behind yeah. him. <laughs> so, of course, it jumps on the back and starts attacking him. Uh, I guess it was biting Jody because according to the uh the subtitles there's like chomping going on and I was like I didn't realize that but okay but uh Jody uh Jody deals with it like a boss he takes the gun points it at the head of the thing on his back and blows it to death like just kills that thing and then another one's running at him and he just murks that one sends it flying across the room with another gunshot I'm like okay like he's He's just gunning down these these Jawas with his like desert eagle he's got. Um, so there you go, two dead two dead Jawas. Uh, now uh, Jody, you know, is on the run and he's being pursued by a hearse. So basically, once he's like running away, this is another of the exterior shots. But like we actually see like a car turn on and it starts to pursue him because uh, it turns the lights on. That's how you know the car turned on. So once Jody gets to the Morningside Gate, he turns and starts to shoot at it. Um, he doesn't see a driver, but he does manage to jump out of the way of the hearse. Uh, and then another car is coming from like the other direction and he like pulls his gun on that one. Luckily he refrains from shooting at it because it's Mike and his Barracuda. Um, and there was like some kind of excuse for why Mike didn't answer him when he was like asking who it was. And it was that the door was jammed. The latch was stuck on the door. 
He's like, man, he almost shot his brother because of the door. Um, but now they have the hearse uh, approaching them from behind as they drive along. Uh, Jody says, no one's driving that mother, which is the first of like three times they say mother like that, which is kind of funny. Um, Mike reaffirms that the vehicle uh, has no driver when it pulls up next to him. He's like, yeah, dude, he already said that. He said that there's no driver. Um, so, you know, Mike is driving. Jody uh, gets up to the top of the car and starts blasting uh, the hearse with the shotgun that I'm guessing Mike brought the shotgun so that Jody could ride shotgun. Um, it seems as though Jody finally scores a good engine shot because the hearse like wrecks into a tree. Uh, they park and go to investigate it. Uh, the aftermath of their wanton violence. And it turns out that the hearse was in fact driven by someone, but that someone was one of the little Jawa dwarfs. And it's now dead because a branch from the tree, like went right through it. But then Shane, what happens? What tragic truth do we learn when they unmask the dwarf? <sighs> it was in them the whole time. Well, sort of. It, it was, it was uh, their old buddy, Tommy. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was gonna be a little alien. You didn't expect it to be their buddy Tommy, although he's kind of no. warped and weird looking. And I think that's why they had Tommy have such like distinctive, like facial hair from earlier that I kind of made fun right. of. I think it's a, like he could be like kind of warped, but still be recognizable as Tommy. Yeah, I think it, I think it was like, I don't know. I should have known. Should have known that uh, could have been his dad. Should have known that all of these uh, little Jawa dudes are actually the compressed Dwarven corpses of their fellow humans. Yeah, should have called. Should have called the twist. But anyways, they go to a phone booth. Remember those? And Jody's on the phone with Reggie and tells him that uh, they got one of the dwarfs. He has to bring his ice cream truck uh, so they can store it. Uh, once Reggie arrives, he's surprised to find that the dwarf is their friend Tommy, and that he's also leaking that weird yellow icor. Um. Right. And also, it's kind of funny because, so, yeah, why didn't he warn Reggie that it was their friend so that when he gets there, it's like, oh, surprise, this is our dead friend, by the way. Um, but then it's like, then Reggie, like, instantly is like, what, they're loading him into, like, loading the body into the ice cream truck to, and then padlocking it. Then Reggie's like, this guy isn't going to leak all over my ice cream, is he? It's like, oh, what, this guy, one of your closest friends who recently died? <laughs> like, and your concern is, like, your ice cream supply? Like, geez. I, I mean, he's for sure going to leak all over your ice cream. Oh, yeah. Little like, doubt. He's got a hole in the middle of him the size of yeah, a tree branch. Like, guaranteed. Yeah. The dude's, yeah, dude's going to leak all over your ice cream. Like, move it if you're that concerned. Yeah, really. Um, What a weird ice cream truck. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like a really old-timey one. But it also does have music, which was weird. I don't know. It's a weird. Yeah. Everything about that is kind of weird. Um, Yeah. So... Uh, Jody tells Reggie, I will meet you back at the house. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Uh, because Lynn, it looks like they both arrive at the house at the same exact time. And are they at Reggie's house or at their house? I actually couldn't even tell at this point what house they're even in. I think it's their house. Okay. So Jody and Mike right? go in first. And then Reggie like lags behind a little bit, like looking around. And then he goes and the door's still open from them walking in. So he just like closes the door, locks it, you know, so that they don't get attacked by tall man minions or whatever. And then he's like walking in and he's like walking slowly, like tensely, like something terrible is going to happen, even though they just walked in in front of him. And then he gets jump scared by the maid Myrtle. 
And it's like, we never met Myrtle at this point. There's no establishment of the existence of Myrtle. And it's just like scaring Reggie. He's like, Myrtle, you almost gave me a coronary. Never to be seen in the movie again. All she does is like, are you boys home? Like I said, she jumps out and yells, basically. I, lo- I love that Myrtle scene, dude. Like, what a weird scene. Like, to add to, like, all the times that, like, the logic of this movie doesn't really make sense. It's like, suddenly, there's, like, another person who could be in and out of their homes. And it's the maid Myrtle. Um, so, in front of the fireplace, uh, our three heroes are discussing uh, the matters at hand. Uh, namely, that apparently Jody and Mike's parents are possibly now also, like, Jawa dwarves under control of the tall man. Uh, but Jody tells Mike not to think about that. It's like, well, easy for you, Jody. Reggie suggests that they, uh, what was his plan? Beat the shit out of the tall man, flatten him, and then drive a stake through his heart. I believe was yeah. Reggie's plan. It's like, hey, man, we appreciate the zeal, but like Mike's like, uh, that mother's strong. So how are you going to do it? It's like, good point, Reggie. You're not thinking. In order to keep Mike safe, uh, Jody asks Reggie to take him to the antique store where he'll, where he'll be safe. Uh, and he says, I'll have no arguments for you, Mike. Uh, and to, to his credit, Mike doesn't seem to give him any arguments at the time. And also, for some reason, Reggie is driving while playing a song on the ice cream truck. And I'm guessing it's just meant to be symbolism because the song has three blind mice. And all three of them are going to handle this situation poorly. Um, at the True. antique store, uh, we find that Mike is staying with Sally and Sue. Uh, they've made up a bed for him in the back for when he gets tired. But weirdly enough, both Sally and Sue seem to be looking at merchandise in their own store, like like they're shopping or something. I don't really understand. It doesn't matter. We don't have time to establish anything more than their names because (laughs) this movie is going to move too quickly through this. Uh, After walking around and they're looking at some creepy looking antique store clutter, Mike finds an old timey uh, series of old timey photos in a cabinet, like straight up daguerreotype photos. Uh, one of them is the tall man, but it's in a hearse that was like an old horse and buggy hearse. Shane, is he that old? Is he as old as the 1800s or whatever? Where's the lavender lady? Well, probably well, when we see her, it's the tall man. And it's kind of a cool scene where like this, the, it zooms in on the photo and he turns and looks at Mike from the photo. It's like, ooh, it's like a Stephen King's cool. it moment. That guy was cool. Um, Sufficiently freaked out, Mike goes to Sally or Sue. I can't tell which one's which because the movie certainly that had the wishbone transition. What was that? That had the wishbone transition where it's a moving picture to like a like a like a still frame shot. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the show Wishbone. Yeah, with the dog, it tells us stories. I'm trying to think of the theme song to Wishbone right now, and I just can't. All I think about is Reading Rainbow. It's bothering me. All I can think about is Dragon Tales, and I know that's not even similar. Man. Tell you who's dragging tails. Who? Tall man. <laughs> what? I don't know. What does that even mean? I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, Mike is sufficiently freaked out, uh, and he goes to either Sally or Sue. Again, the movie will not tell us, and demand to be taken home. Which they do. They hop into their Volkswagen Beetle and hit the road. Cut to our man Reggie, who's driving his ice cream truck when he hears the snarls. The telltale snarls coming from the back of his truck that is indicating that it's the dwarf Jawas. Mm-hmm. Think he'll be okay? He'll be fine. Okay. Well, good. That's it's not add any tension to this. So uh so Jody back home takes a nap when he has a similar dream sequence 
to Mike. He like awakens in like the uh, mausoleum area with the tall man approaching him from in front of him. When one of like the mausoleum graves breaks open and hands from within grab him. And then he like wakes up from that dream. So it's kind of a cool mirror to Mike's dream earlier. Um, Back to Sally and Sue. Uh, They come across the scene of Reggie's overturned ice cream truck. Mike tells the ladies to stay in the car because he's going to go and investigate. And they both simultaneously are like, no, Mike, what are you doing? But also like, is that Reggie's truck? It's like, okay. Uh, So, yeah, what other ice cream truck is there in the in town? But um, yeah, Mike goes, he opens the ice cream truck up. uh, He finds this scene, which which part this the lighting. Of him, like how it was filled. This just like them pulling up on that truck and that backlit, like silhouette of the truck. Oh my god! Yeah, the lighting was incredible. And yeah, so he and then he goes up to the truck. He he opens up the so like what the padlock is no longer on the door to the ice cream truck. So he opens it up and finds that Tommy's like, uh, like Jawa body isn't there anymore. And the only sign that he was there is like the yellow eye core that's still covering the ice cream. Cause I guess what it did leak mm-hmm. all over that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think Mike starts to hear the sound of like the, the jaw was out in the forest. So he like returns to the car and tells like Sally and Sue, like go, but even though they didn't want him to stop in the first place, they're now hesitant. It's like, Hey, what is that? What's that noise? What's going on? It's like, what do you guys have? Like the survival instincts of a gnat get out of there. So uh, they dilly dally long enough that suddenly the doors of the car like are trying to open up and they are like, hey, what is that? And open the door, which allows the Jawa doors to like jump in and start attacking all of them. And this is kind of a cool scene. So like the girls, so the 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 Jawa that Mike is fighting, like gets him up to the back window and like smashes him out the back of it. And the girls like just start driving while they're screaming and drive away while they're being attacked by the Jawas. And just leave Mike behind. Classic. <laughs> it's like, why exactly did Jody trust these these women? No idea. Yeah. So, um, Mike's on the pavement, and this is kind of a cool situation. So, Mike is on the pavement, and he's thinking about Jody, who's back at home. So he thinking about his brother gets up from the pavement and starts to run home. So yeah, he arrives at home. Jody's surprised to see him. Uh, Mike announces that they got Sally, they got Susie, and they got Reggie. They're running out of friends at this point, even though I would argue that Sally and Susie weren't exactly the greatest of friends. <laughs> they did a terrible job no, keeping no, an eye no. on Mike. But um, so Jody says uh, Mike has to go to his room. Uh, despite Mike's attempts to fight him, Jody like overpowers him and carries him upstairs. And he throws Mike in his room, and then he jams the door using a screwdriver in the hinge and like, well, not safe for fires, but maybe safe from tall men. So after a tantrum, Mike is at his desk and he's having like a little bit of a panic attack kind of thing. But that's when he reaches into his pocket and finds one of the shotgun shells from earlier. It's still there, but he's frustrated. So he like slams it into the desk. Then he has an idea. So he uses like what tape, a little piece of metal and like uh, tapes the, uh, the shotgun shell to a hammer. And makes like a makeshift firing mechanism. And then, like, yeah, this is pretty wild. Yeah, it's like some real MacGyver stuff. So he smashes it against like his door and blows a hole in the door right by where the screwdriver is so he can pull it out. So he, he like runs downstairs, stops to grab a gun, 
Um, this time it's a pistol, though, not a shotgun. <laughs> but then he goes to his front door and finds the tall man there who says, I've been waiting for you. And then just grabs him. It <laughs> starts like carrying him with like one hand. It's like just tall man doing tall man stuff, you know? Meaning, of course, that Jody's racing to Morningside to not fight the tall man because <laughs> the tall man's not there. Um, yeah, that's another thing that I think supports the his brother's dead thing. It's like every time his brother leaves, he gets attacked. Oh, yeah, by the tall man. Seems kind of convenient. I Yeah, I definitely agree. I think this movie is a standalone movie. Is very much a rumination on grief. <laughs> but Right. Um, so then, yeah, so Jody is like racing to Morningside, unaware the tall man is behind him in the hearse with Mike in it. Uh, tall man is very amused with Mike's attempts to like break the glass between like the back of the hearse and the front of the hearse. He's just like laughing at him, but the joke's on him because Mike remembers he has a gun. <laughs> so mm-hmm. He just like blasts the glass, blasts through the car to hit a tire and then like jumps out the back of the hearse as the tall man loses control of it, crashes into a pole and there's a fire explosion. <laughs> It's like, hey, man, if the tall man was a dude instead of like an interdimensional uh, alien overlord, like he'd probably be dead. But no time to think about that. Exterior shot of the mortuary. Inside the mausoleum, uh, Jody is opening up one of the tombs, presumably their parents, in order to see if they're still dead or if they've been dwarvenized. Mike gets into the building, but he's being, we get like a cool shot of the metallic orbs POV. It's just like a desaturated, like red tinted, like vision kind of, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. We never got to see that before. So, uh, Mike though, as he's running through, he gets to like the grave that Jody had pulled out of their parents. Now Jody went to open it, but he never looked because he's like, no, you can't be like, you must be dead and closes it. Right. Mike, he opens it and it's empty, baby. Their parents are dwarvenized. Their jaw was baby. For sure. For sure. Um, but anyways, uh, the orb uh, comes around and it's like got Mike in its sights. Uh, so it starts to fly towards him. When Jody jumps out and shotguns it, blasts it, it explodes. It's dead. Um, Mike starts to tell Jody that he opened the grave and found it to be empty. But instead, he's just like, never mind. I'm not going to put that uh burden on my fully adult brother let's just go mm-hmm. to the hummy spooky door that he found earlier but didn't get to and that the blonde girl from earlier found and supposedly got got because like she screamed at the exterior thing so they approach the door and i don't know if i said it before so it's in like the marble part of the mausoleum like very like regal looking and over top of the door is like what a bunch of like uh like plaster cast like greek Greco-Roman faces kind of over top of it. Was that how you describe it? That's how I would describe yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think they're Roman for sure. I think they were the emperors, right? I mean, they're definitely in that style, but I, I couldn't I couldn't recognize yeah, them as such. Right. Right. Yep. Truth. It turns out that the tall man also used to work for the emperors. Um no, that'd be a funny oh. idea though. Uh so yeah, as they approach the door, uh the high pitched like whine, like the hum of whatever's in there. Is like getting louder and louder, but surprise, Reggie's behind them. <laughs> He's still alive, and he reveals that he found Sally, Sue, and some other girls, led them out a window, and they all survived. So yay! All of the all of the disappeared women. I guess they don't make for good uh, Jawas. 
they don't get turned into Jawas. I didn't really understand that, to be honest with you. Like what? Which part? Like why? Like why weren't they turned or killed? The the only thing I could think of is that the tall man or the lady in lavender do the killing. Mm-hmm. The dwarves like do the gathering, and the tall man was still kind of focused on Mike. So maybe it wasn't like he wasn't there because he was like planning his getting in of of Mike. Right. And remember that this story is framed like at this point, we still are in the world of the movie. But if the interpretation is that this is Mike kind of having a dream of the of his like a grief, like fever dream, basically, of what was going on with him and his brother and wake of like some deaths and stuff like that, then maybe this is his mind being like, oh, but the girls are okay. They never got got like and the tall man didn't kill them because he was too busy coming after me because it's all centered around me and my grief. Like, so I think it kind of works thematically, but it is a very hand wavy way to do it. But I think it's on purpose. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so no, Reggie's back, baby main character. So they're ready to face what's behind the door and they open it up and find a stark white room with a bunch of like black barrels stacked like along the left wall and the back wall. And then in the middle of the room to the right is a small pair of like metallic poles sitting right next to each other. And they're the source of the humming. So investigating one of the barrels, Jody looks into it and he says, we take his word for it. Uh, He says, Oh, these are those dwarves that, that have been attacking everybody. These are the Jawas. He doesn't say Jawas. Jawas is my word, but um, well, it's not really my word. It's George Lucas's word. But um, I've been calling them Jawas this whole time, but the movie refers to them as dwarves. Um, no, it's, it's fair, though. Yeah, so Reggie stops to take a look, too, but not Mike. Uh, he sees the poles, and he's interested in them, and he discovers that he reaches his hand between them. His hand disappears. And he has, like, a moment of remembering. It's like, don't fear, like, remembering the fortune teller thing. It's like, mm-hmm. this is, like, one of two times he has, like, a memory to that. It's like, I think that he just, like, Don Coscarelli just really wanted that uh, box, that Gom Jabbar scene in this movie. So he's had Mike like repeat it a couple times so that it justified it because it seems like he should have feared because as soon as he, uh, uh, you know, gets down and messes with the portal, it like sucks him in. And this is our glimpse of like the tall man's world. Right. So we get so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like bright red. There's like a, like down on the ground, there's like a line of like uh, the, the cloaked dwarf people, and they're seemingly like gathering the barrels that are being brought from the overworld and stuff like that. This is like really cool. But Mike doesn't fall all the way in because he's being got by the belt loop from above by Jody, who pulls him back in. And right. based off of all the smoke that's coming off when he's pulled back in, it's like a pretty hot world. Like it was like messing with him. Like Jody and Reggie both had to like put out like the smoke that's on him, like, like, like smack it away like he's like cindering yeah he's like yeah he's basically like on fire like smoldering yeah 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 so that's the word word, smolder yeah that's a good one yeah um but yeah so mike explains that the dwarves that are being made here are used as slaves in that world they have to be crushed here so they can deal with the gravity and heat of the other world of the world where the tall man is from and then that doorway is how they transport them um so yeah, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. That sounds like some kid logic, but sure. Okay. Um, yeah, he made some pretty <clears throat> solid leaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
like he was only there for a second but it's like he like was immediately made aware of everything that's happening but suddenly the lights go out and uh like they're like tuss they're like tussling around a bit like talking and mike's like oh i got a lighter and like one of them i can't tell if it was reggie or jody's like light it up and then he does and then as soon as mike lights it there's just a jawa dwarf standing in his face yeah <laughs> and then it goes out and then it seems like the guys are having a lot of trouble and then this is another time where it's like what was the like i don't understand anything about like the placement of this entire situation so basically we find jody he's outside in front of like the mortuary running around yelling or yelling for mike so that's where he is when the lights come back on in the portal room reggie's alone in there still he didn't leave like jody did and then he like has a quick like flashback to the tuning fork and realizes that the reason that the two metal poles are humming is because they're like a tuning fork for the portal, which I thought was pretty cool. Right. Uh, so he's like, like looking at them, like thinking about grabbing them out in the bushes outside. Jody doesn't see that the lady in lavender is standing behind him, like raising a knife. Like she's getting ready to like come out against him. And that's what I thought was like the double lavender, like the other double. Like I thought that was her, but you know, Reggie grabs both of the two metal poles and apparently this is bad bombings for like the lady in lavender because she seems damaged by it uh reggie inside the room has initiated like some kind of like suction event and now like the portal's just sucking everything in and like all the barrels are flying out towards it so he's just like doing a crawl to try to get out of there and not get sucked into like the uh the tall man world reggie does manage to get out the door and close it behind him so Thank goodness, I don't want to bury my man Reggie today. Uh, no. So he's seemingly safe from further suction. However, <laughs> this isn't just happening in that room. There's like a windstorm going on outside, like all the weather. Uh, Mike is yelling for Jody because he's now outside too. Again, no real hint of the time or placing of that. Reggie emerges from the house to find that the storm that he hath wrought is, uh, is, is raging. Um I should mention there's like a sci-fi summing uh, humming sound that's happening is implying like the portal shenanigans. However, out front Reggie finds the lady in lavender collapsed and Reggie being the good guy uh, tries to help her and, and like tries to help her up when she just like turns around and stabs him and like a bloody Reggie just collapses. And I'm like, what? And Mike and Jody finally find each other in the windstorm. And, um, this is the second time we see a scene of like the lady in lavender looking down on someone she stabbed and transforming between herself and the tall man to watch him die. So I think the tall man just loves watching people die. So he just like rolls out when that <laughs> happens. Uh, so yeah, Reggie's like presumably dying. The tall man pulls the knife out and it doesn't really seem to be any reason for this. Just so the tall man can strike a cool pose, like holding the knife. Um, Mike and Jody see Reggie. Mike wants to get to Reggie, but Jody says you can't help him. He's already dead. I was like, Jody, is that one of your best friends? <laughs> All right, whatever. Suddenly, the entire mortuary is en enveloped with like a bright red light and then like seemingly like disappears into another dimension, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Um, back at the house, Jody uh, has an idea to lure the tall man to a mine shaft. And he's like, it's like a thousand feet straight down. And uh, 
he'll never get out of there if we like bury him in it or whatever. And Mike's like, how will we succeed without Reggie? It's like, I mean, let's be honest. Reggie hasn't done a lot other than get captured and rescue some girls off screen. I mean, I know we all love Reggie, but come on. Like allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Just his word for it. But yeah, so uh, Jody sends Mike uh, inside to lock up the house and look for more ammo while Jody goes to prepare like the mine shaft and like, I guess, remove some warning signs and camouflage it for when they lure in the tall man for this terrible plan. Like, this is one of those, like, a lot of the stuff they've been doing has been kind of stupid, but at least I saw some logic in it. But this is where I'm like, this is a child's plan <laughs> to lure him to, like, an abandoned mine shaft and bury the guy there. Like, that's just a wild plan. But, like, the way it plays out in the movie it makes it seem like that was the plan. But, like, the whole time he's like, hey, don't leave the house. And then he lures him there anyways. So I agree with you. I think this was Mike's plan, like, in his brain. Well, I think, yeah, I think the idea was that Jody would have wanted to get things ready and he was going to come back for Mike and they were going to lure the tall man together. It's just things, things moved a little faster than he expected. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Mike is checking the windows. He opens one up, locks the windows. Like, okay, good. Lock the tall man out. Goes to the second window, opens it up to check it. Sudden tall man <laughs> just standing there, breaks in through, tries to grab Mike. Mike runs in to hide, cut back to Jody uh, he turns and sees like a light on the top of the hill. I guess that's like the universe telling him that's a place to spring his trap. A little convenient mm-hmm. if you ask me, but like, I think that's the, the whole point. How convenient. How convenient. Uh, sneaking around the house, Mike uh, is suddenly like from behind the tall man, like, I don't know, telepathically blasts open a door behind him. And is just well, the window was there. first. Well, he broke the window earlier. This is later afterwards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump cutting. Got it, got it, got it. Because we already jump cut to Jody after the window thing. Yep. Yep, Um, So, my bad. So, he blasts that door open, and the tall man's just standing there and just goes, Boy. So, it's like, Oh, it's happening. Um, Yeah. So, Mike runs out the front of the house, uh, running away from the tall man. Tall man is on approach. uh, And that's when he gives his line. He's like, You play a pretty good game, boy, but the game is finished. Now you die. It's like probably the most he's talked this entire movie. So good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Mike's running uh, through some swamp land. He's getting attacked by uh, corpses from underground, which, you know, interesting. Cause that was like a dream thing that happened earlier, but I guess it can happen. I thought I was like, too. Oh, quicksand. Yes. Finally quicksand. And it wasn't quicksand. It was just hands. It was just, yeah, it was just, it was just dead hands. Uh, but then Mike from behind, here's the lady in lavender laughing. Uh, he once again uses his don't fear mantra. Um, and she, uh, he approaches her with his knife outstretched and she has her knife out. I'm like, Oh, is this about to be a knife fight? But he just turns and books it into the woods again. Uh, I think I was more like a, less of a fear thing and more of a luring her slash him because tall man, lady lavender are the same. Uh, Mike, uh, stops waiting, uh, to see where his adversary will be. Mike bursts out of some foliage, takes a moment to dramatically wait and then chases him. I love that. So yeah, they finally they're running and then it's kind of a surprise because Mike just like jumps and the thing he jumps over is a mine shaft hole and the tall man like falls into it and he tries to grab Mike's leg but he's unable to and he falls in the shaft when suddenly from above a bunch of rocks just fall into the mine shaft hole and then plug it up but Shane from above in that same spot that he was looking at earlier it's Jody. He's the one who did the, the he did the rocks. Happy ending, right? The brothers will live forever now. 
perfect ending. Um. Okay. So what? Wait, what? <laughs> okay. Wait. Well, there's another scene. Well, let's see what it is. Um. Okay. So he's explaining to a very much alive Reggie that the tall man he believes the tall man is still alive and that the rocks won't hold him. That he'll be back. And Reggie explains that it's a dream and that he hasn't slept much since the funeral last week. And Mike says the tall man took my mom, took my dad, and now took Jody away. And Reggie says, no, Jody died in a car wreck, not from that tall man. Sudden cut to a graveyard and Mike is standing over a gravestone for Jody. Uh-oh. All of this was just the the mind of a child trying to grasp with the loss of his entire family. Yep. And then we get like a really kind of really touching scene. So Reggie explains to Mike that he had a bad dream, but he's not alone. And he explains that he will never be able to take Jody's place, but he'll do everything he can to take care of Mike. And it's kind of sad and sad music, but it's like, Hey, at least Reggie's there for him. And then, um, yeah. So Mike says, it seems so real. And Reggie says, hey, maybe we just need to get a change of scenery. We'll hit the road for a couple weeks. So Reggie like sends Mike upstairs to go pack some stuff and they can get on the road before the sun even comes up. So it's kind of cool. And then Reggie, you know, busts out his guitar and starts strumming while he's waiting for Mike to go pack his stuff. But then what happened, Shane? Sudden tall man. Sudden tall man? Yeah. So when Mike uh, gets, he gets to his room, he looks at a picture of Jody, guitar in hand, of course, because Jody plays guitar, played guitar. Uh, and then suddenly he like what moves a mirror and then the mirror has a reflection of the tall man in it. And he's has one more chance to say, boy. And then boy. suddenly Mike is grabbed from within the mirror and starts to get pulled into the mirror. Like the mirror breaks and arms come out of it. And that's same the way <laughs> Jody was though. Same, like same over the shoulder, like from behind. Yeah. From when he was cool. in the, in the mortuary, in the mausoleum. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. That's a phantasm. That's how it oh, is. Shit. A bunch of dreamlike logic that seemed to be it was because it was the dream of a kid grappling with the death of his family, but then in the end, actually, it's all man is here, I guess. And then the rest of the movies keep running with that idea, which is okay because it gives us more chances to 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 so uh, deal with Reggie. Our man Reggie gets to have some more time in the sun. The old Reginator. All right, this is gonna be tough. What is the McMurder of the movie? Oh, is it? Yeah. Also, the dog kill thing. There's a picture of Jody and a dog. He's holding a, like, a weird like Pomeranian dog at the end. Yeah, what was And that? the dog's not around, so you can assume the dog's dead. Yeah, but at this point, I think you're just looking for a dead dog to just like to just I mean, get I'm us saying, in trouble with our listeners. Yeah. But he, no, yeah, there is in that picture with him with the guitar, he's also got a little tiny dog, which also, yes, must be dead because we don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah good point dude you got it in one got him my work here is done <laughs> all right yeah but to the mcmurder of the movie McMurder um, of the movie. <laughs> i don't i don't even put music in here anymore i just let you do it perfect <laughs> Perfect. Like a glove. Did you see like the Street Fighter perfect? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> what is a perfect victory called in Killer Instinct? I can't even remember. Perfecto. It's not. It's not that. 
Well, I have one that I think it should be. All right, go. I I think we have the same one because how couldn't it be this? <laughs> so we're definitely right? going to say it's the caretaker getting the orb. To yeah, the for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be the caretaker orb. And I turned his brain into a faucet. <laughs> Just like blood shooting out of his head. A fucking sprinkler. Yeah, I love that. But okay, so like I was thinking about it. It's like, is that against our rules? Because the caretaker seems to be villainous. So he's trying to cost the kid. But at the same time, I think it still fits with our rules because it's not like one of the heroes of the movie killed him. He was still killed by the machinations of the greater villain of the story. So I think it's allowed. So I'm going to allow it because it rules. Yeah, but also those people are all enslaved. So it's not like they're, they don't want to do this stuff. The caretaker? I don't know. He wasn't a dwarf. I, th- I felt like he was just there for the paycheck. He just didn't care. Yeah, he's just... He's like, times is tough. I need this. I need the money. Scruffy hear you. Scruffy don't care. <laughs> Scruffy loves his company. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, care- we're going to go with caretaker orb to the head, right? It had to be. Yeah. We knew it. Everyone knew it. They yeah. knew it before we even watched it. The caretaker knew it. We knew it. Tall man knew it. Lavender tall man knew it. Double lavender knew it. All the lavender squad. Every Jawa, yeah. every Jawa in the Red Planet knew. Full lavender. So, I mean, I love Angus Grimm. I kind of want to watch the other movies just because I loved him. It's like seeing him do stuff. Yeah, he did a great job. Did you ever see, by the way, there's a commercial for Fangoria with like Angus Scrim in it? No, I didn't know that. It was so funny. It's just him being like, sometimes I like to do some light family reading. And he like opens a coffin and it has tons of Fangorias in it. I'll have to check that out. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's see. I have to find a clip of it and send it to you. You can cut that out. I don't think that's like nah, a of anything. It's just something that I, I saw that recently because like I um, follow Fangoria on uh, Instagram and they like reposted it. It's like it's Angus Grimm. He showed up. But all right. So we got our Merc Murder of the movie done and it was relatively painless. No debate to be had. So now it is time for us to move on to our. Judgment Categories. so you can put in some effects (laughs) because i don't know how editing works okay so as as people know the judgment categories we have uh we ascribe a letter grade to five categories they are story and writing acting effects music which includes sound design as well and then cult factor which is that little x factor that makes these movies so good what's that from Oh, it's from Teen Girl Squad. So good. Thank <laughs> um, you. Uh-huh. So we'll start with uh, story and writing. Okay. Start it. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. Like uh, the, I like that we can debate about like what was actually happening and what wasn't happening. And 
why it had like this dreamlike quality and what when his brother would be doing this and when he'd be doing that. I was like, is it just a kid grappling with grief? Is it a kid trying to get put a face onto death? Like, is it actually an interdimensional giant alien man that sometimes turns into a woman to have intercourse with guys in a graveyard? I don't know. Maybe it's all of these things. Will Reggie's music career ever take off? I don't know. That's just a nice subplot to think about for later. And I and I like that that like when you think that it's like pulled the wool over our eyes and it's like, no, it was all a dream, and then suddenly tall man. I love that. Sudden tall man. Sudden tall man. Which by the way, uh spoiler alert, I did uh watch a little bit of the beginning of the second one. Okay. Reggie uh saves him. Reggie like comes oh, in. Oh, so it's like right after. Yeah, it's literally like right after. Shit. Yeah, so like Reggie like not to be like like yeah, he he was already heroic the last time we saw him and he's going to continue to be heroic cuz that's just who he is. Mm. And I actually saw a scene like when I was like going through um going through IMDb of one of the ones that it looked like it was like really recent cuz like Reggie the actor who played Reggie was like looking kind of older, you know, time has time affects us all. But he had another instance where he's standing in front of like two of the like pole, like the tuning fork poles about to put his hands on them again. I'm like, oh, man, is he going to have like another moment like that where he like stops the tuning forks and like wrecks a dimension? Like, yeah, the the trailers look fantastic for the other ones. I'm going to probably have to watch all of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to have to watch them just because I want to see like I I know that none of them have the reputation this one does. And that's fine. But I I guess I kind of got sidetracked, though. Uh, what I was trying to say is a, a yeah for for the writing in this. I think it's great, and I think that the reason that like the tall man's like few lines are so iconic is because they're so few. Like they really commit to having him be like a presence, and that's why it's like so hard to talk about the plot. Is because I think that you have to include some of the shot composition in like the writing in in the story because it's like literally using the visual medium to tell a story. And I think they do it like uh, Don Coscarelli is like what he set up here. works so well. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the, the light, the use of lighting in this is just brilliant. Uh, you know, I, I, that's all I can say. So yeah, a for sure. That's what I love about like, in the, when it's in like in the mausoleum and how bright and like marble. Oh and, my like, God. It's so like, good. every time you're in there, it's like, it's another world from the rest of the movie. It's so good. Yeah. So yeah, a for but the it story. feels alien though, it, which is weird. Yes, because it is pr- presumably a real place. I'd had to assume that was like an actual mausoleum somewhere. They're just like in such stark contrast, like the rest of like the right. the interiors and exteriors throughout the movie. So good. All right. Well, we're in agreement on a for that. Yep. How do we feel about acting? Um. I think this is the only part of the movie that suffered a teeny bit compared to any of the other categories. And, uh, I, I wasn't like a fan of Michael or Mike. I don't know why I just couldn't get over how he looked, I guess. Wow. Well, no, but it was like, he always was like, just bewildered. I, it was just weird. Like not physical, not like his hair is dressed, like how he was dressed and stuff. Just, like how he just presented himself. Does that make sense? Like it was always like, it just seemed weird, I guess. I don't know, but maybe he was supposed to be the weirdo. Well, that was kind of like the idea is that he is often frantic and concerned and like anxious and like always following his brother 
and always like investigating stuff that he shouldn't be investigating and then like only finding comfort from like the fortune teller lady <laughs> like all of these times like where it felt like he was always on his heels and yeah. i thought that that was part of like the grief thing is that he was mm. like struggling through like all of this loss in his life and that was why he kind of like always like had like this frantic sort of like reacting to everything happening around him and even when he was trying to be proactive by being a weird creep and like following stuff around something always managed to like surprise him and throw him off yeah i guess that was the point that annoyed me so i guess it works i can't complain so i don't know you can't look, look i'm look i'm nitpicking look i'm nit look i'm nitpicking <laughs> so like i'm trying to find some faults because i just absolutely love this movie um but but like I I thought the weakest link in this was actually probably like, um, I didn't think Jody was all that good. Like I I think really? he, he was fine, yeah. but it seemed like he was like a little bit disinterested. Yeah, like the actor, like it didn't seem like he was because he was dead. Yeah, because he was dead. No, I I mean I just I don't know I didn't I wasn't really that sold on him and like maybe like the that was kind of the point is he was disinterested because he was like preparing to leave his brother because he just didn't want to be tied down anymore. But I just thought it was so interesting that like seeing like seeing like Reggie seemed more like an older brother to, right. to, uh, to Mike, even before like we knew or found out that his actual brother, Jody was dead. Like he always seemed like, like Reggie was a little bit better at that and stuff, but but you also have like gold standard acting performances like Angus Scrim. Yep. I, I Tommy struggled a bit though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you sure did. It's like you could only be alive for like one scene. What's the deal? <laughs> you know, uh Myrtle. It's a tough one. Hey, I won't have you say anything about Myrtle. She did Girlfriend, her job. Tough one. Girlfriend. Well, that's what I mean. Like, there's so many like forgettable characters, like one note characters that you have. <clears throat> like, I liked Mike's performance. I love Reggie. I love Angus Scrim. The Lady in Lavender, I, her purpose seemed to be very specific. I think she did a good job with it. When, yeah, it was creepy alien. I mean, it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'd go A on this. I thought we were gonna go to B. I thought that was what we were arguing. No, I, I, I just was nitpicking with Mike. I just I had to pick a character I didn't like. It was him. Ah, yes. Then we'll go A. Yeah. Hooray for A. Next up, effects. Ooh. I mean. Lots of Jawas. I, I'm going to. Can I, can I take this one? Yeah, of course. Okay. Effects pretty good throughout the whole movie. The last like 35 minutes kicked it up to like a whole new level the what they were doing with the pillars like the tuning fork things was fucking awesome right the the white room with the black barrels didn't really do it for me but i i make those for a living so like i see them all the time so they don't like it to me that that's like okay whatever right it's like, um, what is this but, donkey kong's house yeah really but man the the orb thing crazy as hell that was awesome uh, even like the, like I joked about the quicksand thing, but even like the dead hand grabbing things were, were pretty effective. I think they did a good job in this. I'd go a for sure. But the, 
I loved the um, going into the other world, even for the brief like thirty eight seconds or whatever that was on film or maybe a minute. Uh, it was fantastic because it gave you such a sense of scale for what was happening. Like you know, because you saw a whole line of those Jawa people for like as far as you could see, right? So yeah, and they're like unloading like the barrels of more of them yeah, and stuff. so good. Yeah, dude. It, was, it was great. Like yeah, and like that's what I mean. Like there was literally what fifteen seconds of that scene. Like it was so yeah fast. But yeah, even like yeah, when the tuning four thing happens and like the entire thing is being like like the storms kicking up and it's like starting to like yep. ruin everything and you hear this the sound of like the the hum of, of as it's like suffering from like the whatever tone was happening that was like been disrupted. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that entire sequence was was awesome, and even like before that, whenever we had like the scene of like like Angus Scrim like coming to like Mike's house like breaking down the door and just standing there or like, yeah. like uh, taking him away. And then like <clears throat> the car crashes, <laughs> like explodes. It's like, Oh man. So almost like a kid thought of this, but it was like really, effective. I'm also, I'm also a sucker for good car scenes. And this had a lot of very good car scenes. Like the hearse was awesome. Anytime the Cuda's on screen, it's fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, this is an A for sure. Pretty solid A for me. All right. We're going to go A on effects because I agree. I think it was really good. I thought that it was minimalist. Like it, it understood its budget and it did as much as it could to stretch every like dollar out of it. It could. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also that scene with the blood fountain. <laughs> yeah. And like this, I think this goes to show you that you don't have to have a horror movie constantly be killing people and all this gore and these crazy kills to be effective. I think, I think there was a lot of scenes where they were able to accomplish what they wanted based off of um, like literally how they shot the scene. Like even, even like, Oh my God, I got to stop talking about how they filmed this, but the bedroom scene when the brother rams the screwdriver into the door and then there's a, there is a full room shot from probably, I don't know, maybe like eight feet or nine feet off the ground looking down into the room. So you, you could see the entire room at one time with him walking around and pacing. With, yeah, br- just brilliant. Yeah, like, when, like uh, when Mike was having his like panic attack and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah that was good. That was really good. Because yeah. Don, uh, was it Coscarelli? He, he did all this stuff. So he directed it, wrote it. He was a cinematographer. He also did all the editing. So like, when, when you say this is like a master class, like, like this is probably a film you should watch if you're in film school, because like the, the shots that they, that they are able to accomplish. And I mean, their use of lighting alone to me, like it, it's just mind boggling. Like that scene with the ice cream truck overturned and there's just that solid blue light, just, just beaming past the truck. So like when you're, your perspective is like um you know like i mean like everyone's been outside in the morning when there's like in a forest when there's light coming through trees and stuff and there's like a really weird like glow like to the fog and stuff yeah they absolutely nailed it i mean it was this to me is like one of the best filmed ones we've ever we've done so far even with interior lighting too like the moments where yeah uh, oh my god like when mike uh turned on that light or not mike uh when jody turned on that light in the basement of the mortuary and there's just yep. like a Jawa chill in there. It's like, Oh no. <laughs> or like when, uh, when, uh, Mike did his lighter 
in the room uh, with the the tuning forks right after yep. like the power went out and he like lights that lighter up and there's just a jaw in his face. That was so good. He has yeah. a lot of tricks with lighting that they do. And that's not even to mention like just a scene with like Angus Grimm standing somewhere being lit weird and it's like, oh, that's creepy. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, the chase scene where they like launched him out of the bush was pretty cool too. Like just the the sense of urgency you got from the chase scenes were really well done. I yeah, we could I could talk for two hours on this, so we should probably put a pin in that. So we'll call it an A for effects then. An A <laughs> for affects. Affects. Um, and that one kind of like that one kind of bumped up against like a couple of other things. Like I think it bumps up against like the performances. It bumps up against, you know, the writing since Don Coscarelli did everything. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, I would say a, because all of that is a factor in effects. It's not just gore. And I feel like a lot of times when we talk about effects in this, because of being a horror thing, it's usually about gore. And that's not to say mm-hmm. that the kills weren't effective when they happened, but that's not all that goes into it. So I think it's good to talk about that. This is the power of a filmmaker, not just like a director or a writer. This is someone that has like a total vision and can realize that vision throughout the entire process. And that's why I think this is so successful. I agree. Yep. Next up is music. Yeah. That fucking theme song slaps. I do like the theme song a lot. I it's do, so yeah. good. Yeah. I, did you catch the Instagram post I put up? Uh, no, I didn't. So the uh, for anyone that hasn't seen that yet, go over and check out our Instagram. I posted a teaser for this episode with uh, one of the posters for the movie, and I found a like metal version of this song. Not metal, but like I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it's a really sick version of the theme song. Um, so you should go check it out. It's pretty cool. Love it. Yeah. But yeah, it is a it, great theme song. <laughs> like, it was good to finally so good. get to, like, a nice little, like, I don't know, like, especially since Piranha had, like, the full, like, kind of bland orchestral thing. And I hate to compare right. movies back to back. That's not fair, really. But man, just like this, the simplicity of it. And, like, sometimes it's just, like, tones. But that works because a big part of this movie is that there's, like, a, like a resonance happening because of, like, that dimensional gateway. So it like pops up a bunch of times. So it fits like it fits like the aesthetic that he's going for. A hundred percent. And the sound effects that they used for like the hand going through the portal uh, was really well done. Um, there, there were like a few audio issues that I think they had to overdub like a line over something like something happened while they were filming. But I mean, that shit happens. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I think that but- whenever uh, Mike, uh, hit uh, his brother with the hammer. Like it feels like they had to overdub his reaction yeah. to that. It was a little bit off. Um, I don't know, but it wasn't enough to really pull you out of the. No, not the at game. all. Not even close. And, no. I, and I will say that, like the sounds, the sounds that the jaw was made later, where it was more like a snarl, I thought was a little more effective than the very early stuff they're doing, which is like a weird little chittering. Um, yeah. Because I think it was a little bit more menacing to have them be like growling or snarling because it kind of like made them seem like they're a threat instead of like, I don't know, like an Oompa Loompa just goofing around in the cemetery. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, nah, for sure. Um, well, I had one other thing I want to talk about sound with too, 
or music. Oh, yeah. So with, with the theme song, the same thing with Killer Clowns, right? If you have a good song, reuse the shit out of it. And they did that so well here. It wasn't like thrown in your face constantly, but like you knew when it was like time for shit to go down. They're playing the theme song again. Like that, again, that's a very effective way to use something you've created. You know, um, again, Killer Clowns did it. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other movies that Jaws does it. Uh, there's a bunch of other movies. and I, But I think what's cool about this sound, this song specifically, the theme song, is it captures 70s horror so well. Um, and I think it's interesting because this is like the end of an era, right? Or the end of the decade. So like the, they were able to like, you can kind of hear some new things that are coming out, right? Does that make sense? Like you can hear kind of where music is kind of going for this genre, but you also pick up, like you were saying about the exorcism, like the piano riff. Um, you're also picking up some like really cool mid early seventies kind of instruments coming through. So I, yeah, I loved it. I was a huge fan of the soundtrack. Yeah, and that's not even to say, like, I know I kind of made a goof about, like, the scene where uh, where Jody and uh, Reggie were playing music together. But it was mm-hmm. very much like, a, that was like a very 70s feeling song, and they were just kind of jamming together. But I thought it was actually a pretty good mu- moment with the music, and it kind of helped to yeah. flesh out their characters a little bit more. And we usually don't talk about... Uh, you know, diegetic music in that way, like, um, you know, music that they can actually hear in the movie as opposed yeah, to m- right. music that like only we hear. Right. Yeah. So I thought it was cool to have like the you know, diegetic music actually pop up and, you know, actually ma- like help to flesh out these characters and not just be like a cheap moment for something stupid, you know? Yeah. I think with like, um, Cause I was kind of concerned with Reggie at the end when he was like picking up a guitar. I was like, Oh no, but like they do it in such a way that it's like natural for him to have done that. Like that's kind of, that becomes more of a character trait rather than like, Hey kids, let's sit down. I'm going to play guitar and listen to me sing and play. Um, you know, it was kind of like you could see him sit by a fire and kind of just pluck through some, some chords. Yeah, like and, he's about to hit the road with his like new little brother. Right. Like he's like, he's right. just relaxing, like passing the time. Yeah. It's like, yep. like, and that was kind of like the character we got to know of Reggie throughout, which was, yeah, which is kind of like, I, I've got to be honest. I think the big part of the reason that I even want to watch more of the movies is to get more Reggie action in there. I just want to see what Reggie's up to for the next four movies. <laughs> like, Yeah. And the, like, he's like the lead. Um, cause like you watch this movie, he, he's probably of all the main characters, he's probably in it the least, right? Um, yeah, probably, which I kind of love that sometimes where you're, so you already, you kind of get to know him as a character just from the few times that he's like presented, but at the same time, like, it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like sometimes you watch these movies and people don't earn the respect of the screen time for like being that main character. Um, it's kind of hard to, I'm trying to think of a movie that kind of does that where they'll just introduce a character and then oh, now this is the main character. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think they did a great job at kind of presenting Reggie in a way that makes you kind of give him the respect of like, Hey, now I'm going to take over this kind of franchise role. Um, so yeah. In sure. Maniac Cop when Bruce Campbell's the main character, even though I was, I didn't want to say Tom it. Atkins. <laughs> 
Yeah, I didn't want to say that, but but for sure, it's kind of like one of those things where I mean, I do like you have a, I do like Bruce Campbell, but yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, he wasn't why I showed up. I would say right. for Tom Atkins, but um, <laughs> but yeah, no. So yeah, I would I would say we kind of really got off of the music thing there. Yeah, but I'm gonna say A. A, yeah, A. It had to be. A. And then Cult Factor, that little X Factor that makes these movies so special. It's A. Like, I don't even know. It's like, a. we don't even really have to talk about it, do we? We've been, like, kind of singing this movie its praises I know. this entire time. Well, so where does that bring us now? <laughs> well, we're indeed. Oh, by the way, I was. <laughs> Before I do that, hold on. <laughs> like I was gonna say one thing. I was like, Reggie, the best uh, horror movie ice cream person since the Terenzi brothers. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> He's a precursor to the Terenzi brothers. He is. Yeah, like he he was he he walked he walked yeah. so they could run. <laughs> he he walked so they could run he's, into a he strummed so they could bang <laughs> uh, circus clowns in a spaceship. Uh, why do you always have to bring that up? <laughs> but yeah, he did. All right. Well, speaking of uh, whatever that is, the next thing we have is the D-roll. So yeah, the do do roll. The do do roll. Yeah, so the D roll. That is our little hat in the hat, the next category that we just added in because whatever, we do what we want. Uh, <laughs> it's where we slot the movie into one last category, and that is one of four, and they are cult classic, B movie, grindhouse, or trash. And nothing yet has been trash, and hopefully nothing ever will be. Hey, speaking of trash, uh, you know, every time someone uses the word slot, I can never get out of my head the Beavis and Butthead joke where they're, uh, when Beavis and Butthead do America and they go to Vegas and they're, and they're in that bus and the lady's talking about going and playing the slots. They think she says sluts. I just, like every time everyone I know says, the oh, joke you're sl- talking about, but I definitely yeah. haven't thought about it in well over a decade. I don't know why. You think about it that like, much? I do. That's my Rome, I guess. <laughs> that's your Roman empires. Is just that joke from Beavis and Butthead. Cool. That and the, are you threatening me? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's classic. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways. <laughs> All right. So I'll stop some, saying slot, slots. Slot it into a category <laughs> since you apparently have to think about oh. Beavis and <laughs> oh. hot slots Uh, (laughs) all right i love i love mike judge i don't some of that shit is so funny and it it gets better as you get older i don't even know why but anyways i do need to revisit beavis and butthead i definitely it's been a while because i know king of the hill is is pretty great but i've not revisited beavis and butthead at all yeah i mean king of the hill is definitely superior i think um just because it has more of a uh, like concrete, like you can relate to most of the characters in that show. If not, you know people that can so, or that 
Yeah, you get it. So, <laughs> anyhow, the D roll, <laughs> the D roll for the, uh, oh man, I was trying to think of something. I think it's a hot slots. Stop it! I was gonna, I was gonna try to think of any make judge property that involved a D in it, but none of them do. Beavis and Butthead has no D's. I guess and, and then I was like, okay, well, what about like idiocracy i mean there's a d in that and probably all of their like high school grades are d's because everyone in that movie is dumb but the d-roll isn't dumb the d-roll's great anyways cult classic b-movie grindhouse or trash it's cult classic it has to be i mean 100 yeah and it's not just us saying it, it's the entire earth even though we're willing to fight against the earth sometimes like when they say slith this is not and we say yay it'd be am i an idiot I just never knew that Mike Judge did Office Space. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Why did I not know that? Mm, I don't know. That was like a pretty big deal. I know. All right. <laughs> I don't know if you want me to say more. Like, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. I didn't know he created Silicon Valley too. That yeah, that yeah, that's true. Well, the more you know. There's a through line on his his career, and a lot of it involves like analyzing certain oh. subsets of like demographics, and like it's kind of a weird through line, but it is there. Yeah, I mean, his social commentary is just the only pe- the only people I think that do it better consistently um, are definitely like Trey and Matt from South Park. Yeah, but- I, I feel like they. I don't know. And like, this isn't a slight against Mike judge. I think that Trey Parker and Matt Stone have probably evolved a lot more over their time than he oh, has. For sure. And I think that's just because the, he kind of, well, no, cause Beavis and Butthead is a pretty far cry from <laughs> some of Slater's stuff. Uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe that was like an oversimplification, but um, I do think that they're because they've used the same show, the same platform, basically their entire careers. The evolution is a little more evident in in how they think about things, which is cool. Yeah, uh, it's, you yep. love to see it. Yep. So, can we say cult classic for D roll then? <laughs> I mean, one hundred percent cult classic. Okay, we said this that already. Like, okay, I can't remember. This is like the suck. this is the cult classic. I think to <laughs> me, this is just like the artwork, the music, the everything. This is just such a good. The Angus scrim, the scrim, the scrim. I was scrimming on the scrim scrim. God, I would have, I would have loved to have been able to see this for the first time in a theater. Can you imagine some of these movies? You just like don't know what this is about, and you just go to it, and this is like what you get. That would be awesome. Uh, did I so ever tell good. you that when I first, when I actually did first buy this? So I was in high school, so I can be forgiven. Uh, I didn't get it. Like I, I really like I had the DVD. I bought it at one of those DVD sales at like one of the tightest little movie rental place. I don't know if it was like Family Video or Hollywood Video, wherever it was at the time. And I just like I bought it. And I watched it and I was just like, I don't see like it was too like all of the stuff that I'm admiring about it now, like about the dreamlike quality and like the, the almost lack of cohesion and, and logic to it, like bothered me at the time. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But like now it's yeah. like like old, even over the years, I've come to appreciate it more and more to the point now where it's like, I get it. I, I get it now. So it's like idiot me back when I was like 17 just buying up a movie at the movie sale because I saw it on like AMC's 100 movies, 100 scares or like one of those. 
or maybe it was that was that Bravo's? Like there's like a Bravo one and there was like an AMC one. There were like hundred scary movie moments or hundred movies, hundred scares. And this and like the scene with uh the scene where uh you know Mike's in his bed and then the tall man is standing over it and then it opens to the graveyard and the hands come out. That was like one of those moments. And I right. and then like I remember it and I was like, oh man, that looks so cool. And what the movie's like, I should have known from that scene, like it's, it's gonna be very like dreamlike, it'll have its own internal logic, but I just wasn't mature enough as like a consumer of media yet to appreciate it. But thank goodness I've come around on that. That I understand Dude, it. These now. Japanese posters of the movie are fucking wild. Are they good? Yeah, they they I love the the late seventies, uh, mid to mid eighties Japanese like art style, like because they all have that same vibe. Ooh, they really lean into the orb, don't they? Yeah, it's so cool though with the with the shape and stuff. Like, anyways, yeah. So that was Phantasm. It was <laughs> fantastic. Ooh, fantastic, but fantastic. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Give that some air to breathe. Boy, boy, I've been waiting for you. That's actually so like, okay, I'm this is my last digression, I promise. And then we'll announce the next movie. So, um, you know how ever after uh, the the God of War games, like the two new ones and how like yeah. uh, Kratos always says like boy to Atreus and everyone was right. saying boy. I was like, why is everyone talking like the tall man? Because like like at that point in my oh, life, I was good. finally like at the point where I was like a, an appreciator of it. And people yeah, were like, boy. That's good. I'm like, yeah, boy. What, what about him? What about what about the kid from Fantastic? <laughs> You're like high fiving people. Like, yes, yeah. this, these people get it. We get it, right? It's like, no, they're talking about creative. One of us, one of us. Yeah. But that was like one of the things that came to my mind. It's like I eventually caught on. I'm not the dumbest boy in school. Boy. But yeah, so I eventually caught up that it was not about <laughs> It was not about Angus Scrim. One can dream. <laughs> I want to live in a world one day where everyone is referencing Angus Scrim. Yeah. <laughs> that was Phantasm. So what's up next at the Dark Side Drive-In so people can stay peeled? What's up next at the Dark Side Drive-In? No, you want me to announce it? Yeah. Uh, you want to say that stay peeled again thing since I stepped on your toes with it? No, no, no. I think you're... Stay peeled for our next movie. <laughs> Stay peeled. Um, Death Ship. It's going to be Death Ship. Nice. Yeah, not to be mistaken for Ghost Ship, which is a much right. later and very different movie, uh, both in terms of quality and year. But yeah, Death Ship, the story of a uh, cruise ship that's sunk by a Nazi ghost ship. And then they go on to that Nazi ghost ship. Yeah, I was like, I want to go back to the the 80s for another movie since we did a bunch in the 70s. And we decided to take the a one-year leap to 1980 for this one. Um, what a leap it was. What a leap. Um, gotta tell you, I'm not actually that familiar with this one. I've seen it before, but it has been a long time. So I don't have fond memories of it. So we'll see what happens. I will say it's on Tubi, so there's that. There is that, and it's not rated very high, so we, we don't, you know, look, keep your expectations at a minimum, and then you won't be upset about the movie. I'm actually pretty excited. It looks fucking awesome, so. Take your expectations. I love, I love shitty movies. Take, so. it, 
take your expectations, put them into one of those little ships that drill to the core of the earth in the core, and uh, put it in there and let it go down to the (laughs) core of the earth, and then have it restart the core of the earth spinning. And then buy a Shockma. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to name drop another movie that we're not even going to cover like in the near future. So... The problem with doing this show, folks, <laughs> is um, Tubi's, Tubi is a both a blessing and a curse. So as we look for new movies, I see other movies that I'm like, ah, I, I would like to see this. So every time we record, I add at least 10 to 15 movies to my watch list. I mean, and I, I, I do hit them and try to knock it down, but. Man, it's just gonna take me forever to get caught up on things I want to see. So, <laughs> they was Shockma. That's the name of a movie that he said there. Yeah, which we, we mean, could do it. We could, we could always do like a, a scary monkey block and do Shockma and Monkey Shines, <laughs> and then like what Creep Show with Fluffy? Is that the one? Is in there? Yeah, the there's another one we're missing though. That's like really big. That was right around that time. King Kong. No, He's it's pretty a disease. Big. They they have the disease outbreak. Outbreak. That's a capuchin, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, okay, never mind. But that that was from like 1997, though, wasn't it? That was like way later. You're right. I think it might even be later than that. Like, yeah, I think 97. I think you're right. Well, we could just watch Babylon Five. Oh, it's hey. 95. I was off. Sorry. 95. Yeah. Still a little late. Wait, what did you say we could Still watch? A little late. Babylon 5. It's a television program, then it's sci-fi. That's not even close to the project we're doing here. What do you do? Oh, are you shit. just Googling things? No, you should you should see my list. <laughs> okay, I'm just from the last time, I'm just gonna we're f- f- going through this, folks. Don't take this Since as a last... don't take this as a things we will be covering. It's just the no, things no, no. on his well, list. Some of these we will probably cover, but not all of them. So I added the Keanu Reeves hit Man of Tai Chi. I added the uh, Jensen Ackles hit Ten Inch Hero. I added uh, Terror at Ten Killer, which I love the title. There's nothing out there. Shockma, Creature, The Jackal, Triple Cross, Return of the Living Dead, Babylon 5, Colossal, Eye for an Eye, The Blind Swordsman, Stargate, and Hardcore Henry. So, and that was just today. Parker Henry is actually a pretty fun movie, but definitely yeah, outside of ours. There are a couple there that I'd like to see us do. One that I would yeah. very much like to see us do very soon. But Shockma. Yeah, obviously Shockma. Definitely not. Or Creature. I okay. I actually don't love Creature. That's wild to me. That checks off a lot of boxes for you. It does. Apparently not, though. No, it does. It, it for sure does. You know what? Right. I'll rewatch it. We are, I'll rewatch it we are, and we'll find out. But no, we, the one I'm spiraling is Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, no, that one for sure. That that's on the list. I, I'd really like to do a of the block at some point in our lives. Sure. Um Return of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh shit. Return of the King. Return of the Living Dead. We'll just start. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> return block. Sounds good. So got it. Got a block. Got a gallon. Oh uh, uh, god. <laughs> can we got s- a gallon. Can we please start 
Can we please get out of here? Oh my god. Well, uh, we did some housekeeping at the top of the show. I, I've got nothing else to say. We've managed to take out an hour and a half movie and turn it into two hours, which is our, I think, our specialty and talent. It's a um, gift. You find you find another show that does that, and I will tell you to probably listen to ours instead. We'll fight them with Claymores because there can only be one. Dude, I thought of like, I'm like, why would we put anti-personnel minds down to fight these people? Oh, and then no. I just realized, and then you made the Highlander reference. Oh, no, like, different Claymores. Too much Call of Duty. A little bit. Yeah, that's your fault. Also, but, uh, also yes. <laughs> well, I've been Shane. And I've been Stefan. And thank you for tuning into the Dark Side Drive-In, where we cover horror movies from this time 70s, sometimes 90s, and usually the 80s. I forgot to do the tagline in the beginning. So that's my <laughs> yeah, and you also switched it up and made it different. I did. Keep it spooky. Keep it spooky, boy. Boy. <laughs> Play a pretty spooky game, boy. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh,